Welcome back to your favorite Colorado high school football podcast. I'm talking about the Playmakers Corner here. I am one of your hosts today, Cody Stoffer. Joined by your other co-host, Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V. And here on episode 107, it's what a lot of you have been waiting for. This is one of our favorite lists to do, and I'd say the one that we easily did the most research for, or at least this is the one I watched the most film on, other than maybe receivers, but I rewatched players' film way more on this one, so total film time would get this edge. And I'm talking about your top five senior quarterbacks in the box state here in gorgeous Colorado. And, you know, looking through, there is a lot of names who aren't going to be on this list, and it's no disrespect. This was very competitive. I feel like, you know, Simon and I discussed that this is one of the closer quarterback classes, you know, that we've looked at a lot closer than last year, where, you know, there were some considerable gaps from one player to the next in a lot of ways. These players are all you know, basically ranked within 10 overall grade points of each other, which is pretty absurd and not really something that, uh, well, it's something that we expected. But going through the grades here, you know, we judge these quarterbacks based off of arm power, arm accuracy, timing on throws, overall mechanics slash fluidity, decision-making skills, scramble ability, throw on the run ability, pocket awareness, pocket movement, and then you know, the one that doesn't really change frame slash size, that one is just whatever their height and weight is, really. And then, you know, if there's any injury concerns, we take that into account there. All of these grades are on a 1 through 10 scale, 1 through 3 being, uh, being needs improvement, 4 through 7 being about average, 7 to 8 being above average to good, 8 to 9 being good to great, and 9 to 10 being very good to elite. So, you know, if you hear us referencing numbers throughout this episode, which you will, that's kind of what they mean. But without further ado, Simon, do you want to talk about our number five senior quarterback in the class of 22? And uh, it might be a surprise for our listeners. Well, some of them. Yeah, it definitely will be a surprise. We've talked about this kid a lot, but it is the university quarterback from Greeley, Colorado, Greg Garza. Now, I'm going to talk about his stats real quick in case, you know, you haven't listened to any of our other episodes, like the end-of-the-year episodes, season review, all that stuff, which, you know, you should go check, by the way. But let me go ahead and talk about his stats on the year. He threw for 2,589 passing yards with a 55% completion rating, 27 touchdowns, only 9 interceptions. He also ran the ball for 404 rushing yards and 17 rushing touchdowns. And Greg Garza, you know, he was a big reason why, uh, he, you know, University was able to make it as far in the playoffs as they did, you know. And there were also, um, he was also one of the biggest reasons why University was able to take a pretty decent swing at the defending 2A champs Eden High School Um in case you don't remember, you know, University is the only team to have a lead over Eden in the fourth quarter this year. Maybe even going into 
I, I don't know about last year, but it's definitely a couple games going on now. And then Greg Garza also got into that little shootout in the playoffs. One of the only quarterback duels of the season, by the way, against Walker Martin over at Eden, going blow for blow for basically the whole first half of that playoff game before they did ultimately lose to Eden High School. But Greg Garza, he's the special type of quarterback. Um, look, I'm just going to say this. He is probably our smallest quarterback here. 5'10", 170. You know, that 5'10 might be a little bit generous. I'm just going to say that. I think it's generous, personally. Um, I could probably believe the 170 just about. But he's definitely a little bit shorter, but don't get it twisted, you know. Um, He has a lot of skills that really makes up for the frame. And honestly, frame doesn't mean anything. Personally, to me, if you're a quarterback and you can deliver the ball – you can avoid sacks. You can make the right decisions. You can move an offense up and down the field. Who cares what your high or rate is? Make a play, you know, because I've seen plenty of quarterbacks who are big and tall and don't do anything um, compared to smaller quarterbacks. I did get to see Kyler Murray growing up, so I know what a good smaller quarterback looks like. You know, I think he's personally the standard. And, uh, I mean, if you want to – really throw in frame and all that. I think Kyler Murray is a better quarterback than Mason Rudolph, who's 6'5", 230, whatever. So, in my opinion, frame doesn't mean anything. It's probably the least important thing um, to a quarterback, in my opinion. But with Greg Garza, uh, like I said, he does a lot of things right. I think his arm power is probably, well, this is what I rated it as. But I rated it at a 9. And a 9, you know, like Cody said, is very good to elite. That's probably around a 4-star kind of talent four starts a three-star kind of talent there I think he has the ability to fit into pretty small windows and you know he's shown time and time again that you know he could get vertical with it you know he could throw the ball and push the ball downfield and be accurate with it as well his accuracy is the other thing here he could throw dimes and be on time with it I think Greg Garza as far as just throwing darts from the pocket he is lethal from the pocket, and you got to give him respect there, man. Your best case scenario with Greg Garza is getting him to roll out and get uncomfortable there, because if he sets and throws, I mean, he's going to throw a dot. That's just how it is. He is that accurate, and he could get into some pretty tight spots, and, you know, Greg Garza uh, over at university also had, like, two, like, six three, six four receivers, and then a really good slot receiver in Kenan Padilla, and so... There's a variety of spots he could put the ball at times uh, just because of the sheer frame and size of his pass catchers. And, you know, time and time again, I did go to a couple of a couple of his games. He was able to fit it into some pretty tight windows on third down, on fourth down, on first and second, obviously. But in those downs that you need someone to make a play, you need your quarterback to throw a strike, he did it, you know, um, with pressure coming at him as well. And so... There you go. I think he's a very smooth pocket passer and whatnot. But don't get it twisted. He could also run as well. Um, I wouldn't say he is probably the best scrambler on this list or even the best scrambler that I got to take a look at here in Colorado. But he is good enough. He could escape the pocket. He is really slippery as well. <clears throat> if you watch, if you go ahead and watch some of the Eden games, I think that's the best kind of, I guess, games to watch when you're trying to evaluate Greg Garza here 
because he's going against a top-tier defense that's getting a lot of pressure. And Eden, they, I w- personally, I wouldn't say they run the most complicated defense. They just got dogs out there. And so they'll run their cover two base, and then they'll send their guys after you, send four guys after you, and all four of those guys could beat double teams straight up and cause the pocket to collapse. So maybe as a second uh, to be up in there. And so, you know, Greg Garza, he really has that ability to kind of scramble out and make a play on the run as well. I did say that your, I guess, best chance at shutting him down is stopping him while he's on the run. But, I mean, that's really only because he's out of pocket. He's forced to make a tougher throw. Those on the run are tough to make, you know, accurate those on the run. And um, especially, you know, if he's running around, he can't get as vertical and kill you vertically. He could make, he could still throw some dots, you know, don't get it twisted. But, you know, obviously it wouldn't be as good as if he was to set and throw. That's common sense. So there you go. And then, um, yeah, and then honestly, I, look. Me and Cody have a little bit of a difference of opinion here, but I like his pocket awareness and his pocket movement. I think he does a lot of things, um, like a lot of the little things that uh, kind of help him extend the play, right? I mean, he doesn't he doesn't do anything that's going to hurt him, or he doesn't have really any bad habits, in my opinion, that are like, oh, like he's falling back in the pocket and he keeps falling back. Some quarterbacks do that. You know, like some quarterbacks, rather than stepping up or making a little side shuffle or whatever here, they're going to either scramble all the way out or they're going to keep falling backwards and backwards and backwards in the pocket until they're 20 yards away from the line of scrimmage. That's a horrible habit, in my opinion, almost unforgivable. Uh, Greg Garza, he's always moving forward, keeping his eyes downfield, and he's making plays. Like I said, he's a very, very smart quarterback. If you need him to get a first down, he'll get you a first down. If you need him to score a touchdown, Shoot, he'll go get the touchdown as well. So um, I really like Greg Garza here. I had him. Well, actually, we'll talk about ratings later. Um, yeah, we'll talk about ratings later here. But Greg Garza, I think he's been super underrated. I think he's somebody who could easily play on the next level and has the skills to play on the next level. I don't have any doubt about that. Cody, what do you think about Greg Garza? And, you know, what are some areas of improvement, in your opinion, for him? Yeah, so looking at Greg Garza... He's one of those guys where watching his film, there's a lot of wow throws. You know, his arm power, you talked about it. I believe you said you gave it a nine. I also gave it a nine. And I I don't hand out nines. There's like maybe over the the next four players, there's like four or five more nines that I give total. So to have one of the nines is super impressive. And I think that it showed, you know, his ability to throw off of his back foot, you know, is basically unparalleled because he did, pro- out of all these quarterbacks, I'd say that his line probably wasn't the best. So, you know, he had to do a lot to stay off the ground and complete passes, and he did exactly that. He was able to extend plays, and, you know, after kind of watching his film a little bit more, I came around to liking the pocket movement a little bit more just with his ability to extend plays for very long times and, you know, get the pass completed. That's what your goal ultimately is. And, you know, on that note, you know, his accuracy is, oh my gosh. Or I guess I gave his arm power an 8.9, but I gave his accuracy a 9 is what I should say. They're very close, but his accuracy, his ability to fit it into windows is just chef's kiss, you know. 
He's impeccable when it comes to getting the ball in the right place to a receiver on a variety of routes, too, I might add. You know, he throws a very good comeback route. I think that's one of the harder routes to throw. He can throw a great corner route. That's one of the harder routes to throw, in my opinion. And he could do it from the other side of the field, if that makes sense. Like, if he's forced to his left, he can throw a corner route on the right side of the field or vice versa. Obviously, go routes were money for this team, seam routes, post routes. He's the ability to extend the field, makes it very hard for defenses to counter this university offense that was just super explosive this year. And, you know, this was a record-setting year for university offense and for a university quarterback. I mean, come on. He had 44 total touchdowns, 27 through the air, 17 on the ground. That's absurd. He just does everything that you ask of him. Honestly, if, you know, he needed to, he could do a lot more on the ground, is what I will say. You know, he's not somebody, like, don't let his 404 yards fool you or his average fool you. If he needs to take off, he could take off. And I'm pretty sure that university is a school that kind of counts sacks as a carry in that sense. So, you know, his rushing yards aren't like a lot of other quarterbacks uh, statistically recorded. Because, honestly, if you take out sacks because of the amount of pressure he faced this year, he's probably closer to six or 700-yard rusher, in complete honesty. He has the ability to get upfield using his feet. I really like his scramble ability and, you know, just his ability to make moves kind of in the open field when he needs to. There's even one play where he lowers his shoulder, you know, and... While you're not going to get that on every play, I think it's a testament to his character and his will to win. You know, he's willing to do whatever it takes to bring university a dub. And he he needed to be on this list. Now, some things, Simon already somewhat mentioned it. I was not a huge fan of his pocket awareness. Now, you could attribute this to the fact that the pocket was constantly collapsing, you know, throughout his film and, you know, throughout the season. But I feel like a lot of the time he doesn't make a move until the pressure is already there. And while his scramble ability is high enough to make that work here, I don't necessarily like that for the next level. I kind of want to see him, you know, move before the pressure gets there, if that makes sense, and just show a little bit more awareness on exactly which part of the pocket is collapsing when and where. And then in addition to that, you know, his decision-making skills, I gave it like a 7.2. It was one of the lower categories for him. Still a high category in general for a lot of these quarterbacks. But, you know, he does complete some of these passes when he's being tackled. But the ball just manages to get there, you know, a couple of times on his film. And that's something that I don't want him to do on the next level. If I'm his coach, you know, and I see him getting tackled and, like, forcing a pass as he's heading towards the ground and the ball is kind of floating in the air, some of those interceptions will be pick sixes on the next level, in my opinion. So sometimes, you know, just take the sack, honestly. I'm not a huge fan of, you know, throwing while literally, like, halfway to the ground, basically. And it works, and it's exciting, and it's wow plays for sure when it does happen. But the way that the ball gets there when he is getting tackled is a bit more of a floater. And that's what worries me about that. Uh, other than that, you know, his he does have to throw off his back foot a lot. I kind of talked about it a little bit. 
and hopefully behind a better line, that'll be something that he kind of practices. It reminds me a little bit of LR3 from our last year film breakdowns, and, you know, it's just like a tendency, but I don't think he's as entrenched in throwing off his back foot as LR3 was, so I see a lot of hope for, you know, recovering that on the next level. And so speaking of the next level, you know, Coach V and I talked about all of these guys in general. Greg Garza is definitively a college quarterback. You know, obviously, he's going to be overlooked because he played to a football, because he's not your prototypical quarterback size. But he's somebody who you should have on your roster and give a chance. Like Simon said, frame, I mean, he hasn't shown any durability concerns with his frame, and that's usually, like, my personal concern is, oh, can they take a hit? Greg Garza got battered and beaten this year, and he played the whole season, and he played the whole season well. So I don't think the frame should be a big concern to you as a scout. And I think that his arm power alone should be enough to make most D2 coaches salivate. And, you know, maybe depending on your staff and your depth chart, maybe even some FCS schools, I wouldn't say... I don't know if I'd go as far to say like a big sky kind of guy, but I mean, if you're a D1 FCS program, you could take a flyer on this guy, but I know for sure D2 wise, he's somebody who could come in and, you know, you could redshirt him. Well, ideally you'd redshirt him, but he could come in and be a multiple year starter on the division two level coach V. What do you have to kind of say to that outlook here of Greg Garza? No, yeah, I agree. I mean, I don't think Greg Garza has any offers for football right now. Um, that's just the reality of it. We are currently, it's January 24th. We're about nine days, 10 days away from signing day. I, I, look, part of me does wish we got this episode out sooner, but I mean, I don't know if it would have made that big of a difference. <clears throat> Personally, I think Greg Garza could start for most D2 teams. I think, um, I mean, take away scramble ability, all that even, you know, I think uh, as far as just being able to throw on time, decision making, like um, timing, I mean, timing is everything, being able to run through plays, go through reads, because I did get to see him go through a lot of reads here. You know, he's not a one read quarterback by any means, you know, and he wasn't bailed out by his receivers all the time. He, in my opinion, he made great throws. You know, sometimes there's nowhere else to go with the ball, um, but, you know, to your big guys, and you got to make a good throw, and that's just what he did. And so I think, personally, he could start for most D2s um, probably year two. You know, go ahead and redshirt, learn the playbook. But once he masters that, I think he could get out there. And once he, like, honestly, look, I'm not concerned about his pocket awareness or movement. If it's not a sack, then screw it. You made the play, right? Uh, on the next level, just be a half second faster. It's not that big of a deal. All you have to do is just get used to the speed of the game. And, you know, that's maybe a year, maybe a year. That's kind of stretching it, but maybe a year type of deal, in my opinion. Um, but I think Greg Garza, uh, he will do really well on the D2 level. I think he can be an FCS type of quarterback. I could see him being a uh, big sky type of quarterback, but um, – I, I I don't know. I just kind of feel like a lot of teams still, and I think this is personally stupid and it's outdated, uh, but I think a lot of scouts and coaches and teams look at the frame, look at the height, and they're like, oh, I'm going to start my 6'2 quarterback because he's 6'2. And there's really no good reason behind it outside of the fact that he's 6'2. 
and you know because he's six two, like his arm power looks stronger. But I think it's BS, and I think if it really comes down to it, hey, who's gonna get the most completions? Who's gonna drive your offense down the field? It's gonna be Greg Garza. Screw Hyde or Wade, you know he'll find a way to get it done because he's done it this year, and he will do it on the next level if he does choose to go that route. And so. Um, that's kind of how I see it there. I don't know if he'll get a fair shake on the D1 level just because there's that stigma. And I, it's a stigma that's going away. But, you know, every time Kyler Murray loses a playoff game or any quarterback under six foot loses a playoff game, that's kind of the stigma that sticks around. Like, oh, he's not tall enough to win because he's not tall, which is stupid. If you can win games, you're a winner. You know, that's how I see it. If you can make the right plays, you're a winner. And so... I think Greg Garza will probably have a better chance on the D2 level where it's more like, okay, like, I I don't know if the stigma is as big there. I'm sure it is at some places, but at the end of the day, I mean, if you could stand out on the D2 level, that's a big deal because I do think Greg Garza is probably a D1 talent. I think he has D1 potential. And so I feel like it would be pretty easy for him to shine on the D2 level. And so that's kind of my uh, logic and process there. But, um, you know, it, it just depends. A team has to take a chance on him. That's what it comes down to. You know, I think he's done everything he could at this point. I don't know if there's anything more he can do except for maybe bet on himself. Um, if he goes Juco, I mean, you got to find the right Juco, too, because some Juco's are real, like, weird about it as well. So, you know, you got to make sure you go to a Juco that, you know, will allow you to play quarterback. Because to be completely honest with you, if Greg Garza was more athletic, they'd make him play defense. And, you know, for other reasons as well. But, uh, yeah, Cody, what do you think about that? I I agree. I think D2 is, you know, maybe a bit more, I just want to say flexible in, in, like, their beliefs and, you know, in, like, their judging, I guess I should say, of, you know, smaller players just in general. I mean, uh, Jack Pompasil, he's somebody who graduated last year in the class of 21, and he was, like, one of the top, if not the top D2 recruit last year. And he was, like, five... I think it said five foot eight, but he was, like, five foot seven or five foot six. He was very small. But, you know, he was a great athlete who made plays, and Greg Garza is a great athlete who makes plays, and he has a cannon of an arm. I mean... You got to give the guy a chance. And if you don't and you end up letting him play for an opponent and he torches you, that's on you. Really, it is. Um, and, you know, I will say I, I'd love to see him play football on the next level just in general. But, you know, it's not I feel like he he has options. He's a 4.0 student. So, you know, that's another huge reason to recruit him. And I think he's also kind of a dog as a baseball player as well. So, you know, no no path is close to him. Greg Garza, he has options. So if you're not going to offer him to play quarterback for your school, he's going to find a home somewhere else and he's going to be successful and you're going to lose games with some 6'3", you know, athletic, poor decision-making quarterback. Yeah. And if that's... And if that's how you want to play, then that's that's on you. But that's not how I would run my program, personally. Yeah. Um, but, I mean, regardless, Greg Garza is a top-five quarterback in the state of Colorado. I think if he replaced 
Honestly, some quarterbacks on the 5A and 4A level, they might have had a better playoff push, maybe even win it all, too, because I I don't know. I Personally, I really like his composure against Eden. I don't doubt he could do it on any other level. Um, I mean, that's as good as it gets. So, Eden's so one of the go. most stout defenses on any level of football. Yes. I mean, it's hard throwing against a defense that is in your face, and they're only rushing four, so they're still dropping seven. Sometimes they're only rushing three, and so they're dropping eight, and they're still kicking, like, they're getting in your face, you know? That's never an easy defense to play against, um, especially if they're going man, because that just forces you to make perfect throws all the time, you know? And in the playoffs, you know, in his three playoff games, he had a TD to INT ratio of 7-3, to and an additional four rushing touchdowns. So... I mean, he was making plays, is, is is the thing, in the biggest time of the year. He's got winner in his DNA. And that's something that a lot of people, I don't think, talk about with with quarterbacks. And that's how you end up with, you know, quarterbacks who win national championships falling later in first rounds, even in the NFL. Like, winning is a part of, like, who you are. It just is, especially at the quarterback position. So, Greg Garza, I'd say that he's a winner. And, you know, he's a competitor at the bare minimum, going toe-to-toe with Eaton and, you know, putting up solid performances both times against the eventual state champion. So. There you go. Um, final grade that I gave Greg Garza here. Uh, it's it's going to be really interesting. But he was actually my second highest-rated senior quarterback at an 84.5. So that's about a three-star um, because of his height and weight, you know, they would have probably bumped him down to a two-star. But, you know, like, a, that's about a three-star, like, lower three-star, higher two-star type of guy. So that was my grade for Greg Garza here, 84.5 uh, out of 100, by the way. So, so yeah. Uh, Cody, what was your grade for Greg Garza? We might as well be saying these as we go, as I, I figured. So, yeah. Yeah, so I wasn't as high on Greg Garza. Um, he was actually my sixth ranked QB, but you know, he had a 74.2. So still a two star guy, somebody who should be rated. And overall, he finds himself at number five because he was the fifth highest rated composite score between Simon and I at 158.7 out of 200. So, uh, solid quarterback and a next level guy. Like I said, his pocket awareness is what really hurt him for me. And, you know, then his frame or size, that's not something he can control. Uh, but every other quarterback on this list basically sat at a seven, you know, and he was at a five. So that put him at a slight disadvantage. But, you know, his throwing grades are among the best, you know, with his accuracy being the second highest out of anyone, out of any quarterback in the entire state. So that's that's great Garza. Boom. There you go. Coming up next, we have our fourth ready quarterback in the state of Colorado. Welcome back to coverage on the Box State, brought to you by Playmakers Corner Podcast. I am one of your hosts, Cody Stoffer, joined here by Coach V, talking top five senior quarterbacks here in the Rockies. And here at number four is 
the senior quarterback out of Longmont High School, Keegan Patterson, one of our 4A MVP candidates. If you haven't, go ahead and listen to that. That is episode 99. And there's plenty of reason for Keegan Patterson to be rated where he is. He scored the second most touchdowns in this entire state or was a part of the second most touchdowns in this entire state as QB for Longmont. He was instrumental in their success. You know, they had one of their better years in recent memory and just in general, you know, also won a playoff game. And a huge part of that was Keegan Patterson leading this Longmont Trojans team to an overall seven and five record. And on the way to doing that, he threw for over 3,600 yards and ran for another 846. So like, you know, four and a half thousand yards of scrimmage, almost 50 touchdowns, 28 passing and 20 rushing touchdowns on the offensive side of the ball. And then, you know, uh, he was also kind of good on defense too, you know, so he's a, he's a smart quarterback having played defense. He's able to recognize and understand defenses. And let me talk about just some things that he did well this year. You know, King Patterson, he has a strong arm in this class. Um, I, I don't know if I speak for, I'm pretty sure that when we talked, we both agreed on that. He has a, okay, I thought so. He has a cannon. I gave his arm power a 9.4, which I think is the highest grade I've given anyone in any category ever. Uh, He throws his receivers open so, like, literally his arm is so strong that his receivers, they just have to have the endurance to run, like, 40 or 50 yards down the field. And the cornerbacks and safeties, you know, I think they just underestimate Keegan a lot of them. They're like, no way, this guy can't throw it, you know half the length of the field, and then he throws it half the length and some. Like, his arm power is elite. And with that being said, he's also able to just squeeze it into some really tight windows off of basically velocity alone. And, you know, he's he's pretty strong, I'd say, at, you know, that 6-foot, 180-pound frame. It's a solid enough frame where, you know, D-linemen, they start to hit him. But he stays on his feet, and he still has such a strong arm that he can deliver an absolute zinger over the middle and complete some really tough throws just on his arm power alone. In addition to that, I think his scramble ability is amongst the best in the state. I had it rated at the second highest with another nine here. He's just so good at getting away from pressure, but also utilizing the field left to right, back and forth, and, you know manipulating the pocket in a somewhat good way. His ability to kind of run right, then turn around, flip, step forward in the pocket, and deliver a strike is impeccable. And with that being said, you know, his throw on the run ability is also unlike a lot of players. It was actually my highest rated uh, throw on the run ability was Keegan Patterson because, you know, this entire offense revolves around him. He runs the ball a lot. He passes the ball a lot. They do a lot of flood plays, a lot of play action plays, a lot of RPO plays. And, you know, I think that he does a great job at all of those. You know, his decision-making skills, I almost gave it an 8 with a 7.9. And a huge part of that is, you know, the fact that he does a great job of knowing when to keep it. He does a great job of knowing when to let her rip. And, you know, he's able to torch teams doing both. I actually did have the opportunity to see him play 
in the playoffs against Dakota Ridge. Now, I know that they lost that game, but they did not lose that game because of Keegan Patterson. He was on fire this game, throwing for 362 yards and running for another 152 and three touchdowns. You know, I know he did not throw a touchdown and he had an interception, but really, I think that's more of a testament to how good that Dakota Ridge secondary is with Dante Compalongo, our number two cornerback. Go ahead and listen to our top five cornerbacks episode. But, you know, he was giving this Dakota Ridge, you know, defense fits at times. And it for the first half, it was whoever had the ball was going to score. And he was doing his best to keep up in a track meet. And that was his job all year. I mean, if they, basically... If Longmont didn't score 40 points, there was a chance that they were going to lose each game that they played. And even sometimes when they did score 40 points, they still lost. So, you know, damn, that sucks. But, you know, obviously, when you have a guy like Keegan Patterson, you end up winning a lot of those games, and you end up going to the playoffs and winning a playoff game and outperforming some other top offenses in the state. Simon, I don't want to take everything on Keegan Patterson, but, man, what an electric player. Am I right? Yeah, no, absolutely. Keegan Patterson might be one of the most talented players, just raw talent-wise, on this list, which should be saying a lot here. Um, like you said, Cody, arm power. He has the highest arm power out of anybody on here. Uh, pretty solid. I had him uh, just a point lower than you, but I had him at a 9.3 arm power. That's a solid four-star type of guy. I think... If I was to go back and do, you know, re- do film breakdowns again of quarterbacks that I've done before, you know, I think it'd be up there with Leslie Richardson, the third LR3, who's at CSU Pueblo right now, because, I mean, he could rip it. You know, his deep balls as well are absolutely beautiful. I think as far as the most accurate balls he's throwing, I would say his deep balls are are probably his most accurate. You know, um, you know he. I mean, he doesn't have bad placement on short passes or medium passes, but for sure when players are getting vertical, I mean, he could lay it up there so easily and smoothly. That's his biggest thing there. I mean, he's a absolute, uh, absolutely, he's a strong arm type of quarterback who could get it there um, and just stretch out defenses and make them worry and have their uh, safeties play very, very far back because they don't have a choice. You know, and so his arm power is his biggest strength. I think that's the biggest part of his brand, honestly, of football is his arm power. Like he could squeeze it into some tight, tight spots as well. I also like, honestly, just in general, his throw on the run slash, I guess, uh, what, what would you call it? I mean, not like his flexibility. Like his ability to keep plays alive or. No, no. I, it's it's like his flexibility, like his creativity when everything breaks down in the pocket, because it does kind of happen a lot, you know. He's able to make plays, sorry, off the run, and uh, his creativity with that is pretty good, because he, I mean, he could scramble a little bit as well. He is a taller quarterback, you know, so it does look like he's running a bit faster than some, but, I mean, he could definitely scramble and get some yards. I wouldn't say he's a dual threat, but I would say he's somebody that could, like, get a couple yards, get, like, five or so yards here and there, uh, maybe, you know, blast his way forward for a first down. He's a little bit on the heavier side when it comes to scrambling there. But he could definitely get it done. 
um, scrambling, like not as a dual threat, but you know, when you need him to, he could go get those yards. And then as well, it's on the run ability. Uh, it's not the highest rank for me. I had Greg Garza higher than him. Um, but I mean, his stall on the run ability is definitely up there just because of his arm power. I mean, he could be running and then he would still throw like a 70 yard bomb, you know, off his back foot because he is just that talented. And so there you go. That's Keegan Patterson. I think he's extremely talented. Uh, there's a reason why he basically led the state in all these uh, passing stats and whatnot and was nationally ranked up there. Think either top twenty or top thirty as um, just one of those quarterbacks with the most yardage per game um, for sure. So there you go. That is Keegan Patterson. Uh, let me go ahead and talk about some of his areas of improvement. I think overall, you know, when I look at Keegan Patterson, I'm like, okay, he has a strong arm. He's mobile enough. You know, he could make really good throws. Has beautiful deep balls and all that. You know, arguably some of those passes uh, on those deep passes are like more challenging than, uh, you know, obviously some short and medium passes. But uh, for him to do that, that's definitely exceptional. But overall, I think there's just a lot of things. Uh, just a lot of little things he could work on. His accuracy isn't bad. I have it at an 8.2, but there are definitely times where I'm like, okay, you could have let on your receiver a little bit more here. Um, take them out of this hitting window uh, so that they don't get blown up by a safety or a linebacker and just wait like a literal second um, and then throw it, you know, um, ahead of him and whatnot. And so there are times on his um, – like what he's throwing, especially those medium routes where I'm like, it could be a lot better. It definitely could be a bit better here because it does kind of vary at times. You know, there are some good games, and then there are some games that he needs improvement there. He needs to get a little bit more consistent there. Timing on throws, uh, look, deep balls are great. You know, timing is absolutely great. I give him an A-plus there. Everything else, I think because there are some times that he has some happy feet, you know, his timing is off, and you could see it, and that results in the ball being thrown a little bit behind or a little bit forward, and then, you know, the receiver has to make some crazy toe-tap kind of throw. Doesn't happen a lot, but it definitely happens at least four or five times a game, I would say. And, uh, I mean, you know, the play is still made. That's great. But on the next level, players are going to be faster, you know. Uh, if a ball is just slightly off, that could either be a pick or that could lead your receiver into a concussion type of hit, and then that'll be picked off. Or it's a fumble, you know. Um, you just got to get uh, – timing, you just got to be a little bit better there. And he had great chemistry with his receivers, Caleb Johnson and Jack Mould. There's no doubt about it, which is why it was a little bit surprising where, um, you know, some of that timing on everything, like, shorter than 30 or 40 yards was just off sometimes, especially on some crossing routes, you know. And so, excuse me. Um, and so I think he could definitely work on his timing a little bit better in the medium game. Like short game, I mean, look, if you can't get those short game type of throws down, I don't know what to tell you. You know, that shouldn't be that hard, in my opinion, uh, especially when you have the arm that Keegan Patterson does. Medium, it gets a little bit harder because you can't just let it go. Like, you can't just let the football go. You really got to throw with some touch. And so if I was him, I'd be working on those 15 to 25-yard type of throws, you know, just timing, man. Because if you could get that, then he could be absolutely lethal there. Um, and then lastly, 
uh, look, his pocket awareness isn't bad. He could definitely sense when the pocket is, is collapsing, you know, but his pocket movement could use a little bit of improvement. I think there are more times than not, he definitely has the habit of just scrambling out, you know, rolling out right, left, whatever. Like, he's not going to step up or do anything like that. I think most of the time he's going to roll out. Um, that's just his go-to. And that's not bad. Sure, obviously, it extends the play by, like, two or three seconds, but it is using unnecessary, an unnecessary amount of uh, – or, sorry, an unnecessary amount of energy rolling out each time. Sometimes you can't do that. Eventually, somebody's going to call, you know, contain, and when you try to roll out, you get nailed by a defensive end or outside linebacker, and they're waiting on you to do that. Like, they'll literally wait on you and then smack you, and that's how they get you. You know, when defensive coordinators see that, that's what they're going to call. They're going to be like, hey, just, just wait a little bit, you know. If we get some interior pressure, he's going to fall literally right into your lap. And so with Keegan Patterson, I'd like for him to work on his pocket movement now, climbing the pocket, man, making small, like, adjustments and movements here and there, you know. Um, you don't need to roll out. You know, you don't need to be completely untouched. Make the right throw. You know, first off, that's what you need to do. And sometimes to do that, you only need to buy a half a second. You know, you don't need to buy three or four seconds, right? Conserve your energy. And I think those, like, like, like I said, that's, like, the biggest thing I think uh, you could definitely work on here, just breaking that habit, you know, being a little bit more efficient. I think he gets away with a lot because he has great arm power and arm talent. But really what it comes down to is some of these smaller things like timing on throws, pocket movement, stuff like that, which I feel like he could definitely get down. I'm not concerned about. But if he wants to be a truly lethal quarterback, you know, it comes down to those little things. You know, it comes down to, hey, you know, forget the big play. You know, we know you could do that. Can you drive our team down the field when, you know, the defense is playing cover three and they're hoping that you take a dumb shot downfield because that would be a pick probably. Or they're hoping that you take a dumb shot because <clears> – <throat> or sorry, not a dumb shot. They're hoping you take a deep shot downfield trusting your arm power and accuracy maybe a little bit too much – because they feel like that's a down that they could easily win most of the time because it's cover three or cover four, you know. And so with Keegan Patterson, I'd really like to see him just work on, like, hey, medium throws. If you could get that down, I think he's absolutely lethal, you know. Short throws, that should come along. That's chemistry with your receivers, in my opinion, more so than anything. And so I just want to see Keegan Patterson personally continue to develop, you know, and if he does, I think – Personally, his potential in his ceiling is the highest of any of these other guys on this list, you know. But if he can't get those down, I mean, he could potentially be the best college player out of all these guys. So that's my opinion there. Uh, Cody, is there anything else you kind of want to talk about here before we move into Outlook? Yeah, no, for sure. His lowest grade for me was actually his overall mechanics. You know, his... You can see the baseball player in him on his release. It definitely comes out a little sideways. And also, I think that his release is one of the slower releases out of all the guys on this list. It's not like, you know, a snap of a rubber band. It's like a wah-wah, you know. It's like in two parts rather than in one consistent motion. So that would, I mean, it's still not bad. I still gave it a 6.9, which is pretty good, all things considered. I obviously agree with you. His medium routes 
are, you know, he shows flashes of it, but he doesn't show consistency of it, I think. And, you know, further elaborating on that, you kind of talked about this. His pocket movement isn't, you know, and I think he's another guy who kind of suffered from a line maybe not performing the best. Um, So you can kind of look at it that way. But his pocket movement, I still think, could just be a little bit better. There are times where he can step up in the pocket, and I don't think that he does. Or he just takes off and runs rather than just stepping up and delivering a strike down, like, to the left or something like that. But, you know, all that being said, I I still got to agree that Keegan Patterson's upside is incredibly high. And, you know, we actually know where he's committed to. You know, he was getting a lot of D2 offers from the likes of, you know, like CSU Pueblo and... I even think that Western offered him, but, you know, hit one of his first offers was School of Mines, and that is where he's going. He is a, you know, Mines football commit, like I said, and I'm very excited for him to A, stay in state, and B, you know, Colorado School of Mines, they were a powerhouse low-key this year. On that D2 level, they're having a pretty solid recruiting class this year so far. And Keegan Patterson is somebody who I think could be a D2 national championship kind of quarterback. Uh, Simon, is that a little much or or can you feel that hype too? Well, no, Colorado School of Mines was right in that dance. I believe they lost in the semifinals. I want to say. Um, yeah, so they lost in the semifinals this year. They're really close. I mean, they've produced some really good players, really good offenses, really, in the last couple of years, really the last decade. And, you know, a lot of coaches, scouts from around the country knows that Colorado D2 football is no joke. Um, and a lot, it's kind of catching on now that, like, D2 football in Colorado is pretty high level. And a lot of that is probably because some players who could go D1 are going D2. And, you know, even though Keegan Patterson is somebody that, you know, committed to the Colorado School of Mines, which is a great school and all that, I do think he probably could have gotten an FCS offer somewhere. You know, I think he's somebody that, you know, you look at his potential and you're like, okay, give me two or three years with this kid. And then I'll have two years, two record-breaking season type of years if I could get him right. And that's what I would see in Keegan Patterson if I was a scout for one of those FCS schools. For Colorado School of Mines to get him, I mean, I don't know what their quarterback situation is looking like. I think he might have one more year. I could be mistaken, though. Uh, but I view Keegan Patterson as a front runner automatically for that starting spot here in the next couple of years. And, you know, he can be that guy that elevates uh, Colorado uh, like School of Mines football, honestly. I think he's somebody who... Uh, you know, he has all the physical, like, abilities that you would want in a quarterback, in a championship-winning quarterback. He could get it done. He's somebody that you could rely on to get it done as well. But, um, you know, we'll just have to see. So the head coach of School of Mines actually announced his retirement, Greg Brandon. He announced his retirement back on January 12th. That is important to keep in mind. 
Um, he is still recruiting for them, and he will be working to recruit with them and um, you know work with the school of minds through February first so that he can recruit that next generation. You know, to surround Keegan Patterson with, but he is done um, as a football coach at Mines, and that is a sure thing there. They have not announced who the next football coach is, and uh, look, I, that's definitely a bit concerning. Um, I like, It's hard to sell, like, hey, want to go play for the school? I won't be the coach there, even though I've had, like, a 10 winning seasons in a row and, like, multiple deep playoff runs on the D2 level, but you can still play for a good program. He'd have to be a heck of a recruiter to be like, yeah, come do that. You know, when he is leaving, and I'm sure that coach is a big reason why a lot of players want to go play for a winning program like School of Mines. And so it'll be interesting to see who they hire next. And I think that's the biggest reason why I'm not, you know, completely sold on him being a national championship quarterback yet. But I think he could be on that level for sure. I just don't know if he could actually win one. So that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, he definitely still has some developing to do. I agree with that. But, you know, he's going to Mines. Pretty smart kid uh, going to Mines and whatnot. So I do have faith in, A, him to develop himself. And, you know, a lot of the resources that have been accessible to him are still accessible to him. Mines and Golden is not that far from Longmont. So, you know, I think that the familiarity will go a long way with him. The ability to feel comfortable learning a system and whatnot and, you know, the mine staff, uh, shout out to them. They've had a, you know, even with their coach retired, I don't think that they're a program that's going to just like disappear. And, you know, I, I feel like he probably had a hand in choosing the next guy and stuff like that. So, you know, I'll have faith in Colorado School of Mines. And also, you're right, man. Colorado D2 football, it's legit. There's there's been some national championships here, and there's routinely playoff teams from here in the RMAC, and it's it's kind of a tradition for Colorado football to be good. And it's just like you said, Colorado has D1 talent that plays D2 because everyone overlooks the Rockies, and then they win all these chips in Colorado for Colorado. So maybe CU could learn something, but that's something for another time. But if that's all that we have to say about Keegan Patterson, Simon, is it time to transition to number three following this break? Oh, um, sorry. Last thing. My overall grade for Keegan Patterson was an 82.1. Um, it could have probably been, uh, it could have been a, a little bit higher, honestly. I mean, I think I was nitpicking a lot, but I mean, that's just, Look, when he puts up numbers, like, you got to nitpick stuff. And a lot of his numbers do, do come off of deep balls. And so that's not bad. I think that's still a pretty good three-star grade here. Um, you know, lower to mid three-star for sure because of his uh, frame. He's going to be a three-star for sure, I would say, if he was discovered earlier. But definitely a raw prospect, though, that, uh, you know, has a lot of upside. So that's my grade. Cody, what was your grade for Keegan Patterson? Yes, thank you for reminding me. He was actually my third highest rated QB with an 80.5. And yeah, like that lower three-star, but still three-star athlete with just lots of up. I mean, look, you have the arm talent. You have the athletic ability. I mean, it's up to the coaching staff to fill in the rest of the blanks, honestly, because with those two raw 
you know, capabilities alone, that's a quarterback that can do anything. You know, he doesn't have limitations, I should say. So get yes. get him coached up. Yeah, there you go. Um, I think he was my fourth best quarterback out of this top five, at least. So, yeah, you know, still, I mean, he's here at four. So there you go. Com- but, composite uh, score of 162.6 and only .1 point behind our number three guy. Coming up next. Hey, y'all, and welcome back to the Playmakers Corner podcast. I'm here with Coach V, and I'm Cody Stoffer. We're talking top five senior quarterbacks in the class of 22. And here at number three, you have the 3A state champion quarterback and the only state champion on this list, actually, in Briggs Wheatley out of Fort Morgan, Playing for those Mustangs up in the northeastern part of Colorado. And, oh my goodness, there's a lot to talk about with this guy. He was on our radar heading into this season, you know, on that season preview. And I was like, hey, with Briggs Wheatley, Fort Morgan could low be a contender. Not only that, he was a 3A MVP candidate on that episode. I believe it was episode 90. Shoot. Six, maybe? 97. Episode 97, 3A, end of the year awards. Go ahead and give that a listen for this guy and our next guy. But number three here, Briggs Wheatley. Let's just talk about, you know, his playoff run here. You know, it started off with... Okay, first off, they only lost one game the entire season, and that was to Roosevelt, all right, who is, you know, one of the top 3A programs, period. But, you know, in that first round, Fort Morgan, he led them to a three seed. So a a particularly high seed here in Colorado 3A. And in the first round, you know, they go up against a Green Mountain team. And there's some concerns to be had. There's some concerns to be had, I'd say, because they only beat them 14 to nothing. Briggs Wheatley has a super quiet game. He doesn't even go for over 100 total yards. But he scores one of their two touchdowns. And, you know, he helps lead that defense at that safety position and, you know, narrowly eke out a victory over Green Mountain. So, you know, that's got, you see that win and it's like, uh, can they really go to state with that kind of performance? But then the next week, you know, he turns it up against Frederick here. You know, he has 17 carries for over 100 yards. He goes 10 of 19 for 126 yards and one touchdown for a 21 to 14 win over Frederick. Look, every game, every game that they play this entire postseason is tough and it's clutch. But that's what Fort Morgan football is about and that's what Briggs Wheatley football is about because they beat, you know, another very solid program in Frederick 21 14 and even closer margin of victory than the very next week. They face off against Lutheran High School. Lutheran High School being the number two seed in the entire 3A playoffs. Lutheran High School, who's undefeated. Lutheran High School, who hasn't had a game decided within, like, I don't even think 20 points. Up until this point in the playoffs, Lutheran was averaging 49 points a game, and the defense was only allowing seven. So this is a tall order for this 
Fort Morgan team. This game is in Parker or Littleton at Lutheran High School. And Briggs, he does his thing. You know, he has 20 carries for 74 yards and a score. He goes 16 of 27 for 235 yards. And he had the game-winning drive, or what would be the game-winning drive, you know. Shout-out to Frank Ortega for sealing the deal in that game with an interception in the end zone. But, you know, Fort Morgan got the ball down 20-21, to and they drove down the field, Briggs running the ball for a couple of first downs, forcing it into some tight windows, making some elite passes every once in a while, you know, to drive down and give their kicker a chance to give them the lead. And it would be a lead that they wouldn't relinquish as they left Lutheran High School with a dub 23-21. to Flash forward to championship weekend against the Mead Mavericks down in CSU Pueblo at that Thunder Bowl, you know, legendary D2 program. And this game was incredibly back and forth. Lots of great defense, lots of big plays, lots of playmakers all over the place. Simon can attest to that. And Briggs, you know, he shows up one more time. He did throw a pick in this game and no touchdowns, but, you know, completed a handful of passes and ran it a handful of times for a touchdown to help secure a state championship for these Fort Morgan Mustangs. And what kind of things helped him do that? Well, let me talk about some things that I would love to kind of dive into here with Briggs Wheatley. He, you know, he has a pretty strong arm, but I think... His accuracy and timing on throws is... His timing, I gave a 9.2. He just knows where his receivers are going to be, when they're going to be there, and he knows exactly what he needs to do to, you know, give them a chance to make a play on the ball. He has great athletes, and he knows how to utilize them very well. I also think that, you know, his throw on the run ability is super solid at an 8.4. He's somebody who, you know, can kind of move around in the pocket a little bit, I think, and make make some big plays. He senses pressure very well. He's not the most elusive guy inside the pocket, but he senses pressure well, and he moves accordingly, and he's very good at knowing when to just tuck and run. He's I mean, he's a winner, man. What else do you really need to know? But really, his timing on throws, it was the highest rated out of any quarterback. He's so good at just, you know, squeezing it into that window between the safety and the quarterback. He's so good at putting the ball right in between the two safeties in cover two. He's so good at finding the spot routes in the middle of the defense between the linebackers and corners and knowing when their receivers are going to turn their heads. And honestly, you know, he'd have way more impressive stats if... You know, there weren't so many drops. In that Roosevelt game that I went to, there must have been four or five drops from his receivers in, you know, what was completion percentage-wise his worst game of the year. But, I mean, really, he should have left with maybe like four incompletions from that game. But, you know, I'd say with a, a solid supporting cast, but maybe not the best out of every quarterback on this list, he turned in a phenomenal season. And he just does a lot of little things very well. I think he's very technically sound. And that's despite, you know, being a left-handed quarterback. And, you know, I think being a left-handed quarterback, it's a little bit harder to have mechanics that are good. But he still has very solid mechanics for a left-handed quarterback. 
because it's just hard to find QB coaches who've taught left-handed quarterbacks. And it's just a lot easier to learn when you can actually exactly mirror what you're being shown. Despite all that, Briggs still found a way to get it done both on the ground and through the air. He's a pretty solid running quarterback. He's not flashy, but he's nimble is what I should say. And he has solid enough agility to kind of move around very well. I gave his scramble ability a 7.9 and he's a quarterback who, you know, he'll take direct snaps and run the ball. But as far as in the passing game, he doesn't really run it unless he absolutely needs to. And despite all that, you know, he still ran for nearly a thousand yards and 15 scores this year. Simon, can you tell us some things in that championship game that you saw from Briggs Wheatley that, you know, inspires confidence in him and kind of helps him get this number three spot here? Yeah, for sure. Uh, look, I'm not even going to lie. Going into this championship game, my opinion of Briggs Wheatley was like, hey, he's a pretty good athlete. Like, he's a good athlete, you know. He could run it. He has a good throwing arm. Uh, I mean, great throw or good throw power, I would say. Like, he's he's a good athlete, you know. Going into this game, I was like, okay, you know, uh, it's going to be Meade. They're going to control the ball. They're going to play tough defense. They're going to key in on Briggs Wheatley. You know, they're going to play cover three. They're not going to allow too many deep balls here. So they can't get away with that. Um, and they're going to play it smart. And that's what they did. Honestly, in my opinion, I felt like they really did what they could against Briggs Wheatley here. It just, I mean, at the end of the day, it was the uh, offense for me that kind of let them down there. But, you know, with Briggs Wheatley, I was very impressed with his composure and decision-making skills. I think he did a really good job of not doing too much. He was taking what the defense gave him, and, you know, he was hitting some of those medium passes. He hit a couple really good out routes that were just really good throws, you know, just outside of the defensive player, uh, right where his uh, offensive players could go make a play and make it happen. And, you know, he was just very, very composed in some pretty tough situations. And, you know, it wasn't like, you know, it wasn't like he got a whole ton of opportunities to make plays. They, there weren't really a lot of drives in this game. There were a lot of long drives. So when you have a lot of long drives, that means – your own drive, when you get on the field, you almost absolutely need to score because you don't know if you'll get another chance. At best, you may, you might get one more with 30 seconds left. And, you know, that's not a great situation. And so, you know, the pressure was definitely on throughout this game. And I was very impressed by his, his composure, his decision-making skills. Um, I really liked his arm accuracy as well. Throwing some of those out routes, that's not easy. Uh, for any quarterback to make whatever it comes to like, you know, quarterback evaluations. Uh, seeing that out route is key. You know, for me, on the next level, if you want to be a next level quarterback, you have to be able to throw those out routes and that has to be like a layup for you, you know, consistently. And that's what he did. That's what Briggs Wheatley did. Um, and then also I really like his just mobility in general. I mean, he is somebody that's really tough to bring down. I think, um, how should I say this? I think agility wise, like he is somebody that could shake you out if, uh, you know, if, if you don't break down and tackle him correctly. And he's just very, very elusive there. I mean, top end speed is all right, I would say, but I mean, his bread and butter is really just making you miss and then getting out open. Um, because that's what he can do. And he just has a very good ability to do that and get the yards that he needs to get. You know, I would say Briggs Wheatley 
is a very good dual threat. I would categorize him as that, honestly. But, uh, you know, let me talk about some of the things that he could definitely work on here moving forward. With Briggs Wheatley, I think he does a lot of things, like, good. You know, he does a lot of things good. Uh, I do only really have nines for his scramble ability and his arm accuracy. Like I said, loved his accuracy. Um, like his ability to run and, you know, get those extra yardage. I think on the next level, he could easily average 50 rushing yards a game. Um, you know, next to 200 to 300 passing yards a game. So that's something that's really realistic for him, in my opinion. Um, but something that I would like to see him work on is, uh, you know, Maybe his pocket movement. I think there are definitely times where, you know, he's looking to run a little bit too early and, you know, he's not looking downfield. Like there, whenever he rolls out, you could almost guarantee he's not looking downfield unless a receiver flashes in front of him. Uh, and so when that happens, he's probably going to run it. You know, unless a receiver flashes right in front of him, he's probably going to run it. Nothing too crazy there. And so with him, you know, I'd really like to see him continue to work on that pocket presence, right? Um, look, be efficient in the pocket. I think that's something that he could definitely work on a little bit more here. Because I know he could throw some dots here and there. And he can throw off platform and on the run. Those are some strengths of his. But I would like to see him be a little bit more lethal out of the pocket. So that's my biggest thing there. With everything else, I mean, look, he's our number three rated quarterback in the state for a reason. He does a lot of good things. Uh, I think collectively, if he wants to get to the next level, and I think he is a next level quarterback, he just needs to steadily improve overall at some of these things. At some of these things. Uh, Decision-making skills is his lowest rated, um, you know, his lowest rated category outside of pocket movement and i mean frame i guess but i like i said i don't care that much about frame and so with his decision making skills i think you know he could probably stay in the pocket a little bit more you know i would if i'm briggs wheatley i know you could run it that's great you know that's something that you know you take with privilege right hey i know i have the privilege to run it that's awesome but I'm going to stick in the pocket. I'm going to see if I can make something happen first. I think if you could really get that pass-first mentality, that will help him out a lot. Because I'm just going to be real. I don't think he has a pass-first mentality. I think if he sees open space, he gets a little giddy. He sees open space like 10 or 15 yards. He's like, okay, let me go ahead and take that 20 yards when there's a 40-yard play downfield that he could make if he waits a second or two. You know, um, It won't be easy. I think it will come down to, like, really finding a system that fits his, uh, you know, skills and whatnot. Like, I, I would say if he could be in a West Coast type of system, a lot of short passes and then some deep passes here and there, that would really help him out here, honestly. Uh, I, I like him as a West Coast type of quarterback for sure. Uh, you know, spread quarterback as well. I think he'd be a perfect spread quarterback with this ability to run. But, you know, it comes down to learning those systems because, you know, nothing against Fort Morgan. They had they ran a pretty solid system, you know, but they're not really going to go five or four wide, really. You know, I mean, you have Frank Ortega running a route. That's great. It's either a wheel route or a spot route. It's not that complicated or a swing. You know, it's not that complicated, you know. Um, and so I would like to see how he would fare, you know, running a spread offense. Honestly, I think. You know, going into the next level, he really needs to put in that work. He really needs to study that playbook, know his reads, know his pre-snap reads, because that helps him out a lot. 
you know, especially when you have that many receivers. Pre-snap reads automatically cross out, you know, all right, it's cover two. I'm not going to throw it to the flat because there's probably somebody waiting in the flat if it's a zone. If it's man, then it's man, you know, so there you go. Um, and then that's it's those type of things. I like to see him continue to work on those type of things, like pre-snap reads, looking off uh, um receivers and all that stuff and really just getting a better feel as a passer because like I said I don't necessarily think he's a pass first quarterback Cody what do you think about all that I'd have to agree you know and honestly the lowest rated thing that I had for Briggs Wheatley was his arm power and so I think that sometimes he doesn't and I think that's part of the reason why he takes off is because maybe he doesn't trust his arm to fit it into a tight window on the run or, you know, push the ball downfield, which he should trust it. But, you know, I just don't think that he stretches the field very well. So, you know, it could be from just a lack of opportunities. I'd say that, you know, against the competition that he faced this year, that a lot of the defenses that he played were like that meat defense and the fact that there's just not a lot of oppor- – they're not defenses that give up big plays. So, you know, his patience is good and his ability to run when nothing's open is good. But I think it's formed habits that, you know, he writes off the the idea that somebody can get open or that somebody will get open or to let a route fully develop. And so obviously breaking those habits is important and keeping his eyes upfield is also very important. I will say that as far as decision making goes, that he does go through reads and I do like that, but maybe he doesn't give his reads the full amount of time to develop and that's a huge problem for him. But really my biggest issue with Briggs was just his arm power. He has the weakest arm, I think, out of the top five guys, at least in my grades he does. Uh, He just doesn't push it down the field enough to my liking and I think that there were more opportunities than he maybe showed this year because, I mean, he does have two freaking fast wide receivers there who can stretch the field. And defenses know that, but you should still be able to push the ball downfield and give them chances to make those plays, in my opinion. And that's my biggest qualm with Briggs' game is just not stretching the field enough, really. And it kind of plays into what you said not keeping his eyes downfield, not being willing to kind of push the ball downfield when they do get open. And that is, that's a little discouraging for me. And I'm assuming for scouts as well. I'm not sure if he just doesn't have the juice or if he just doesn't flex the the strength. But that's a huge concern on my part. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I definitely get that. I mean, his arm power... It's not the greatest. I think, I mean, he could, he could squeeze it into some pretty tight spots. I've seen him make really good throws, so I'm not necessarily concerned about the arm power. I think, I mean, like you said, it's maybe opportunity or, or maybe just a lack of confidence. But honestly, if you don't feel like your arm power is all like you know, like you can make crazy throws and whatnot that some other guys like a Keegan Patterson can make, then at that point you need to work on your timing and accuracy. Um, when you do decide to throw it deep. That's a decision that you need to make a lot earlier than, oh, shoot, he's open. I should throw it. Like, you need to know, like, hey, like, what is the coverage? You know, 
is this a first read, second read, whatever, you know, that's kind of a decision that you need to make ahead of time so that you can get your timing right. Um, that's a, I mean, look, just timing is a great way to cover arm power, in my opinion. And some of these quarterbacks here that we're going to talk about that are ahead of him, you know, they master that timing and maybe they don't have as strong an arm as Briggs Wheatley, but their timing is better. And so their confidence goes up because they know, hey, I could hit my guy on a vertical route like that, you know. So, um, so yeah. But uh, shoot, let, let, let's talk outlook here. Cody, I looked at his Twitter a bit ago. I couldn't find any college offers for Briggs Wheatley. Um, am I mistaken there? Am I looking in the wrong spots? I looked through his Twitter and his Instagram. He's just a highly overlooked prospect, in my opinion. Now, I think... It's another one of those situations where 3A players get unfortunately overlooked, in my opinion. Maybe they take a look at his numbers and they're like, uh, I don't know, but they don't know what, you know, 3A football, especially in the division and area that they play in looks like. You know, maybe they look at his stats and they're like, oh, I mean, he threw a pick against Meade and didn't throw a touchdown or... He threw 40% completion against Roosevelt. Like, what the heck is going on? Without what you and I know about those teams, that they have some of the best defenses in the state of Colorado, 1 through 5A. You know, no no doubt about that. And so I think that, you know, actual research isn't really being done here for this Briggs-Wheatley guy. I, you know, I think he's a D2 guy. And maybe even an FCS flyer, what you talked about, his composure and his poise, that's D1 stuff. His patience is D1 stuff. So, you know, he has some traits that, and when I say D1, I mean like FCS level, that is. But I think that he's somebody that uh, he needs to get offered, is what I'm trying to say. He's way too good to not have, or whether he just doesn't announce them I don't know but he needs offers uh it's there's really not too much else to talk about other than that even looking through his following list he's followed by Chadron State and you know I think Chadron should offer him absolutely he's also followed by uh recruiting coordinator and quarterbacks coach at Hamline University which is a D3 in Ohio that's that's not a lot of schools following him. No, and that's a little bit of a deep dive if you have to look at who's following him too. Um, yeah, I don't know. maybe he's not pushing himself out there as much, or maybe he's just keeping it private. I understand that. I know, <clears throat> I know some players would rather not announce who they get offers from, but uh, I think he could be a star on the D two level right away. Um, I think he could definitely play FCS ball, maybe low-key sneak into FBS just a little bit here. I like him as an overall athlete. I think he has a good arm power. I think, you know, he could run a little bit here. When I look at Briggs Wheatley, and I'm trying to think of a perfect offensive system for him, I think West Coast, uh, maybe a system, well, no, actually not maybe. A system with a lot of RPOs would be really good. I, I think he'd be a perfect RPO type of quarterback, you know, run pass options here um, with the ability to run it if he chooses to, but really a lot of quick game type of stuff because he can fit into some small areas. And then, you know, when you're ready, take a shot, you know, 
And so that's kind of how I see Briggs Wheatley as. And um, I think also he could fit into a lot of different uh, systems as well, just being a good athlete. Because you know, I think he really is a good athlete. And, you know, when you are that, I mean, honestly, if you're a quarterback coach or an OC or whatever, you see that and you're like, okay, that means I could mold you into a couple different types of quarterbacks here. Like, you're not just a pocket passer, right? You're not just, like, a, a, a basically a running back playing quarterback, you know, uh, like a wildcat type of guy. You're, you're a guy who could have you know, multiple different roles, uh, has a bunch of different abilities that could fit a bunch of different systems here. And so I think that's kind of how he should be marketing himself, if anything. Like, (laughs) with Briggs, I think, you know, he should be marketing himself as, hey, I could fit your system. And I could be just as good as this guy, but with a touch of athleticism, maybe even a, a, a big sploosh of athleticism over your starter right now as well. You know, and so I think uh, it's never a bad thing to have a more athletic quarterback out there. Um, I mean, he'll figure it out eventually, right? So, um, so yeah. Who can make the throws. Yeah, who can make the throws as well. Um, but that's what I think about uh, when I think about Briggs Wheatley here. I think he could fit a lot of systems. And it just depends. I mean, it depends the coaching staff, how how patient they are and all that stuff. But I think he could really be a steal for a lot of teams out there, you know. Um Look, having great composure and all those intangibles, that's also a good thing, you know. If you're going to have a D1 uh, ability, that's not a bad one to have. So there you go. That kind of ties into potential if you really want to look deeper into that. He also uh, – He makes a lot of different throws too, I think. He throws a lot of different routes is what I should say. And, yes. you know, looking at a lot of these other quarterbacks, you know, looking at some quarterbacks on the 5A level – they don't throw the same route variety. I don't even know if Keegan Patterson throws the same route variety that Briggs Wheatley does have and does. You know, with especially a lot of those routes near the sideline, he throws those very, very well. And, you know, I I think that his frame is solid enough. You know, he's another six foot, 180-pound guy. But I think he's someone who got hit hard a lot. I, I see him get hit very hard by some of those Roosevelt boys, you know, and take some pretty hard licks and get right back up, you know. So he's a tough, tough quarterback. And, I mean, that's a part of the brand out there in Fort Morgan, too. So I think, you know, he there's if there's not – if you can't get come up with a reason to offer this guy, you're not actually trying. You're just lazy. <laughs> yes. Um, also, Fort Morgan, you know, they produced football players. Trey McBride for CSU just won the Mackey Award. Also, according to PFP, is the highest rated tight end since Kyle Pitts. So it's not like Fort Morgan, oh, the, they don't have any football players over there because it's Fort Morgan and they don't know how to play football. They're not Denver. Like, no, they have consistently produced players and future NFL players and NFL players just in general. Um, maybe even more than some of these 5A schools. And Briggs here, I think, is really that next iteration of elite Fort Morgan players who can play on the next level. Um, I truly believe that. So so there you go. Um, my final grade for Briggs Wheatley was an 83.1. A solid three-star guy, for sure. Solid three-star guy. I think he was... 
Let me see here. I think he was my third rated quarterback. So, so that fits. Sam, what about you, Cody? For, for me, he was a 79.6. He was my fourth highest rated quarterback. But, you know, I, I'd be willing to, to say he's a three-star recruit based off of just athleticism alone, honestly. Well, then, boom, there you go. Um, If there's nothing else you have left to talk about or mention here, Cody, my... We got... Go ahead. Another 3A guy coming up next. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner Podcast. This is episode 107. Uh, we're talking quarterbacks here, class of 2022, here in the state of Colorado. And at number two, our number two, uh, our second best quarterback in this class of 2022 is the 3A quarterback from Lutheran High School, Clayton Jacobs. Uh, on the season, he did throw for 2,271 passing yards, with a 57% completion rating, I'm pretty sure that is almost identical to Greg Garza as far as stats go. Because I'm almost positive I've read that exact same stat line, which is kind of crazy. But did throw for 30 touchdowns and only 9 interceptions. Just keep in mind, half of those interceptions came in the last game. So there you go. Um, honestly, just a very, very clean passing uh, season this year. And then on the ground, he got it done on 99 carries. He had 945 rushing yards and 18 rushing touchdowns. Clayton Jacobs was a name that I knew about going into this season, honestly. Um, I got to see him one time against Denver North, and he impressed in that game. Other than one really just like, oh, my God, that was not a good though type of play where he threw it into triple coverage. Um, he played an extremely clean game. I honestly could not complain about any of the decisions he would make in that game. And even in the games following that, you know, he is just a very smart quarterback. I like his decision-making skills a lot. I had him rated at an 8.9, you know. I think he really plays within that system. And that system that over at Lutheran isn't easy. They basically run a spread over there is what I would say. Consistently go four wide, four or five wide here. And then they just let him play. You know, they let him cook. And he really ran that system, like, well. Like, it was excellent how good he was able to get that done, honestly. And, um, look, if you look at the stats, you could be like, oh, he didn't throw for a lot of passing yards. That's fine. I mean, shoot, maybe there was I – actually, I don't know. I don't know if he ever played a full four quarters outside of the first game and last game of the season, which is wild. So he's either pulled before the uh, second half or he's pulled it uh, before the fourth quarter. And so just keep that in mind. I mean, he definitely could have ran up the score. I mean, Lutheran could have ran up the score in general over them. So, you know, there, there you go there. But with that being said, you know, I think he just ran that system really well. And that's why they're – Probably the number one offense in Colorado, in my opinion, just having a very, very lethal spread out there. Uh, other things I really like about Clayton Jacobs, things that really kind of sets him apart from other guys, is his arm accuracy uh, and the timing on his throws. I gave him both nines 
on those. I mean, honestly, like, he throws beautiful balls. Not only, like, deep, but short and medium as well. Like, there's this one throw that he made that me and Mason consistently talk about where he's throwing a corner route. Um, there's definitely a, I want to say, I mean, it was not, like, the longest corner route. It was maybe 15-ish yards, 10 or 15 yards here. But there was a cornerback in the flat, and then there's a safety overhead. I believe it was a cover two type of look. You know, uh, Clayton Jacobs, he needed to make a very good throw here. His receiver was coming from the slot here, and he did, you know, towards the sideline, right over the shoulder of his receiver for a perfect touchdown throw. Um, great timing as well, because if he threw it a little bit late or earlier, it probably would have been picked um, or, or overthrow. So there you go there. And he made a lot of these throws. He showed that he has excellent timing and arm accuracy consistently throughout the season, you know. Um, I mean, he's barely, like, there's barely a ball that he throws that is, like, super late or early. And he definitely fits it in. I got you. He definitely fits it into a lot of tough spots as well. You know, there's those deep crossing routes uh, and in routes where he's just diming it up. You know, you can tell the defense is trying to play zone or something like that, and he's just dotting it up. And so Clayton Jacobs just a very efficient passer with great timing great accuracy, and really good decision-making skills all together. You know, that's really what he's all about. Uh, I'm going to be honest, though. You know, arm power-wise, he could definitely throw the deep ball, and I think that kind of disguises maybe, uh, you know, some of the weaknesses there. I don't think he has as naturally a strong arm as a Keegan Patterson. He could throw it over the moon or as like a... I mean, I don't know. As a Briggs Wheatley who could bullet it into some pretty tough spots. But I think a lot of the, you know, a lot of that arm power is hidden by his accuracy and timing. And so I'm just going to say that because I did give him an 8.4 as far as arm power goes. And, uh, yeah, I mean, and then some other low categories I want to mention real quick before I pass it off to Cody. Um, I mean, wait a second. Sorry, I just lost my spot. Uh, sorry. Okay, here we go. Uh, pocket movement. Not bad. It's our, it's pretty solid, I would say. I mean, he's very efficient. He doesn't really roll out a lot unless he needs to. I mean, uh, it's a really, uh, he runs the system really well. So he's going to get the ball out of his hands quickly. So you don't really see a ton of that, which, you know, could probably attribute to why, like, there's not a lot of pocket movement because he doesn't have to buy a lot of time. Well, not because he's trying to get the ball out pretty quickly here, which is never a bad thing. So, uh, so there you go. But that's Clayton Jacobs, a very accurate, uh, smart type of quarterback over a loser who run a pretty uh, complicated offense out there. But Cody, what do you think about Clayton Jacobs here? Clayton Jacobs was my highest rated quarterback, actually, period. I'll get to that a little bit later in fi final grades. But like you said, his accuracy, he, he's the most accurate quarterback in this class, in my opinion. He's so good at hitting routes, short, medium, and, you know, even some deep routes to an extent. He does that obviously through great timing which I gave him an 8.9 he's just so good at fitting it into the right windows at the right time he's you know he goes through his reads very efficiently I would say you know where it's like all right I know that I have to look at this guy at this time and decide to throw it now or I have to look to my right and then make this decision then or I have to make this decision then you know, he does a very good job of doing that. I think that, obviously, you know, the rhythm that he gets into is, you know, he's like an avalanche. Once he gets rolling, 
it's really hard to kind of break him up. And you saw that this year in their dominance, obviously. You you already talked about the stats, but I mean, undefeated season, the regular season, and even up into the semifinals, that's a big deal. That's a big deal. And what a lot of people don't know about that semifinal game is that he did not get to practice at all that week. That's a pretty big deal when it comes to the final of that game. I don't necessarily put the the whole thing on his shoulders. I will talk about what he could have done better, obviously. you know. But, I mean, to score over 60 points three consecutive weeks for this Lutheran team and for Clayton Jacobs to, you know, be dealing a lot of that damage very quickly and swiftly and completing a lot of passes, it's a statement. And it's one that was taken very seriously, you know, by all of, you know, 3A Colorado. And he was able to do his damage, like Simon said, in a lot of quarters, not played. Something I do want to talk about that might surprise some people, maybe, is how high I was on his scramble ability. I gave his scrambling an 8.8. Now, he's not like a running quarterback. I wouldn't even really call him a dual threat but when he does run he has very good footwork there's one play where he literally snatches a defender's ankles and it's like it's a secondary player it's not a d lineman it's not a linebacker it's a secondary player where he just and just freaking oh my lord the juke that he made was so clean and i was losing i was sitting here in my chair just like oh he snatches his ankles Losing my mind about just how good his footwork is and how well he can move. He moves very well. He's not somebody who has to beat you with his legs. And he's not someone who prefers to beat you with his legs. You know, I definitely think that he prefers to pass. But he does have monster rushing performances like that Green Mountain game. 14 carries for 119 yards and four scores. The week before that against Lewis Palmer, three rushing touchdowns. Uh, against Littleton High School, two rushing touchdowns on six carries and 114 yards. He averaged almost 10 yards per carry because, you know, he didn't even have 100 carries this year. But when he does run with the ball, he's so dangerous, he's so elusive, and just a playmaker through and through. Talking a little bit more, he also had the highest mechanics out of anyone In my opinion, you know, I did give him an 8 on mechanics. I was pretty rugged on mechanics. I was pretty harsh on mechanics in general. But I think he's very clean mechanically. I think he's very mechanically sound. He's very fluid. Watching his arm motion, you know, I had a lot of... Every single quarterback, you know, I choose, like, a couple of throws where I rewatch it. And, you know, I look at their feet. I look at their hips. I look at their arm. I look at their head and see how they decide where to go with it and kind of just the whole part of the throw, and I just rewatch it over and over and over again. And Clayton Jacobs just consistently, when I tried to nitpick his throwing motion, I was like, oh, you know, like, it's it's really hard to find his inconsistencies because he is such a consistent, level-headed quarterback, in my opinion. I also think that while he doesn't roll out of the pocket that much, he manipulates the pocket itself very very well. He does a great job of stepping in to the pocket, stepping up, uh, slightly moving to the left to avoid a rush, slightly moving to the right to avoid a rush, and, you know, backing out and escaping when he absolutely needs to. 
he manipulates the pocket very, very, very well. I think that he shows pretty solid awareness within the pocket, and thus he's able to move within the pocket extremely well. And, you know, when he is flush out of the pocket, he can throw fine. You know, his throw on the run ability, I did give an 8.4, and I think that's really close to what Simon had it even uh, even as. And just, it's because he can deliver dots and his mechanics stay very, very clean even when he is moving on the run. All that being said, there are some, you know, areas of improvement with Clayton Jacobs, just like there is everything else. You know, I think that the biggest thing that I pinged him on, whether it's fair or not, was his decision-making skills. Throughout the entire season, he was a solid decision-maker, but it's really, really hard to overlook his last game of the season. Like I said, he was running on short practice, but I mean, you guys have been running the same system all year and you could blame it, I guess, on the scheduling for Lutheran that they didn't really face uh, one of those tougher 3A opponents until Fort Morgan and didn't really play other teams with phenomenal athletes. But, you know, I think that against some of the better defenses in the state is where, you know, he showed showed he was vulnerable. Against Discovery Canyon, even, he threw two interceptions in that game. And Discovery Canyon, they're they're okay. You know, I mean, they still blew out Discovery Canyon. But seeing some of those interceptions, that's when you're like, hmm. That's where you start to wonder, is this Lutheran team built to beat some of these higher-up teams? And, you know, they still almost beat Fort Morgan. They had a chance in the very last play of the game. I don't necessarily uh, agree or disagree with the last throw that he made that ended their season, but it's really hard to watch kind of him stare down the throw that he wants the entire play and throw it no matter what, even with Frank Ortega back there at safety. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal play by Frank Ortega, but... I I don't like that he's stuck with that one read the whole time. And, you know, if he really wants to make a specific throw, I feel like he overcommits to that specific throw. It's not often, but when it does happen, I think it's pretty obvious that he's like, he wants some throws just a little too much, you know, to the unhealthy level. Simon, what other areas of improvement do you have for, you know, my top-rated quarterback, and our number two overall-rated quarterback here in the class of 22. Yeah, um, look, honestly, you can look at the playoff games and the stats there. I I don't know what was happening against Discovery Canyon. He probably just got reckless there. That's fine. I mean, he still threw for – I mean, he did his thing there. And then against, uh, you know, against Fort Morgan as well, I, I'm just going to be real. I don't really hold that against him at all. Um, that last throw, I look at it and I'm like, look, you had to put it in the end zone because a field goal, I mean, well, they're not going to kick a field goal <laughs> because it's uh, high school football in Colorado and, you know, they don't really work with their kickers that much. You had to put it in the end zone. I mean, I don't know what other routes they were going to run there. Um, just looking back at that throw, I'm like, I mean, it was good timing. The ball was where it needed to be. Frank Ortega just happened to be there even when, <clears throat> even when he was staring it down, like, you know, Frank Ortega still only got there by maybe half a second earlier, you know. So, 
I don't blame him at all. Uh, I think, honestly, when it comes to Clayton Jacobs here, um, I'm probably most concerned about his arm power. Like, I, he has good mechanics, and like I said, the timing and all that accuracy definitely covers all that up. But I think when it comes to straight arm power, I mean, what, can he throw an 80-yard bomb, right? Well, effortlessly. Like, uh, that's just my thing there. Uh, I, I just don't know if he could do some of that stuff. Plus, you know, when it comes to throwing some tight windows, I I just don't know if he could really zip it in there. When I look at Quay, and this isn't a bad thing at all. I mean, maybe some of, you know, some casual casuals out there might see it as a bad thing. But when I look at Quay and Jacobs, I see a lot of Daniel Jones, you know, uh, college-wise. And even in the NFL as well, he didn't have that bad of a year at times. But I see somebody who doesn't have the greatest arm power, has really good mechanics, has a sneaky ability to run the ball, you know, and, you know, most of the time his timing is going to be pretty good or accurate if he has the time, you know. So that's kind of what I see in Clay Jacobs. I see a lot of Daniel Jones. But, you know, with that, I mean, some people, they're going to prefer to have guys who have naturally stronger arms but may not be as polished, you know, like how some people may prefer to have a Trey Lance or a, Josh Allen or Justin Herbert type, but maybe they're not as detail-oriented or they really don't have great timing on those, which in my opinion, uh, they don't um, have the time at least, at least compared to uh, this kind of type of quarterback that I'm trying to talk about here. And so that's, I mean, that's the only limitation I have. I think there's definitely a significant cap on his arm power. And some guys just don't have, like, some guys just can't spin it as well naturally. That's just how it is. I think at best, you know, Clayton Jacobs definitely has an arm that could play D1 football. You know, maybe maybe play pro somewhere as well if he continues to work on it. I could definitely see that. But I think when it comes to wild factor, you know, some coaches and scouts will be like, uh, you know, he's not Patrick Mahomes. Like, he's not like a baseball player who could kind of just throw it up there or like Justin Herbert or Trey Lance could throw it up there. And so to some coaches and scouts, his potential automatically goes down. And I personally, I think it's unfair. I mean, if he could run an offense and win you games, who cares if he could throw it 80 yards or over a freaking mountain, you know, run the, run the play, right? Make it happen. Um, and all that. That's just my personal opinion. But, you know, obviously a lot of coaches and especially defensive minded coaches, like head coaches, especially, you see them always saying like, oh, his arm power, he's not strong enough. He's not strong enough. He's not big Ben. He's not just like, you know, he, they want like those powerful arm type of guys. That's very much a defensive head coach type of deal. And so if you have a defensive head coach on the college level, I could see why they would be turned off by Clayton Jacobs, even though he has great accuracy, good timing. Like you said, Cody, can move in the pocket really well, has low-key really good scrambling ability, ran a very complicated spread offense, went through reads, has shown that he could make virtually every throw that you ask him out of, but he maybe, you know, can't throw a, a great Hail Mary type of ball or, like, you know, scramble out 50 yards and then throw, like, a you know, like a heat seeker missile out there, you know, and that's, that's just reality. You know, that's just the culture of football right now. But I legitimately think that, uh, you know, he is better than that. And that's honestly the only real concern I have, just the arm power. I think he could continue to get stronger and whatnot, but I mean, I don't know. That's, I don't know. I, 
I'm just not really sold on it, you know? Is that fair to say? Like, I look, I'm just being honest. Like, I think he has great timing and accuracy, but his arm power, like, especially in small windows, kind of shows. Yeah, no, his arm power is not... I think it's the... It's it's the second lowest one out of the top five quarterbacks for me. So he he could improve it, and I think he does mask it with accuracy and timing for sure. He's he's not he's not a Josh Allen, you're right. But okay, also I really really like that Daniel Jones comparison, be because of you know the fundamentals, the athleticism, and the sneaky things, but just not that big ability to stretch the field. And you know that's something that you know I'd say somewhat held back uh, DJ in college and even now in the NFL, and it's something that is holding back CJ in recruiting unfairly I would say but I don't see a whole lot of offers I don't see any offers on his Twitter actually Simon am I looking in the wrong spot or or uh dang really no offers I I know he's had a lot of interest but I guess that's not the same thing he he's followed by the defensive coordinator at UNC, shout out to Coach Darnell for following us and offering players that we talk about. Um, then also he's followed by the quarterback coach at Brown University. Because, okay, uh, also Chadron State. I mean, Clayton Jacobs, look, he, you don't have to polish this quarterback up like you're going to have to polish up most of these other quarterbacks. You know, most of the other quarterbacks, they have something going on one way or another, some kind of tendency or habit that is something that needs to be addressed. And Clayton Jacobs really doesn't have that, I don't think. Not only that, he has an incredibly good frame at six foot two, 190 pounds. So, you know, he actually had the highest rated frame out of all five quarterbacks that I had on this list. So, you know, he's got that going for you. He's already almost the like prototypical size. He he has a frame that can start immediately frame-wise. He's a smart kid with a 4.2 GPA. So I don't know why you wouldn't want that on your roster. And uh, I just I'm really surprised, you know, and it's got to it's got to be tough, you know. I see a lot of his teammates getting offers on the D1 level and it's like who is delivering dots to to these phenomenal athletes? It was Clayton Jacobs. It was Clayton Jacobs going through his reads, finding the open guy, and just routinely performing. So where are the offers at? That's true. I Look, I would recruit Clayton Jacobs in a heartbeat. I think if you're a true offensive guy, well, I don't Okay, I don't want to sound unfair here, but look, in my opinion, if you're a true offensive guy, if you're a head coach who's, you know, had a, um, quarterback like coaching job before you know what Clayton Jacobs is he's somebody that could probably d- play day one he will commit to your program he will learn your playbook he'll master the playbook and then he's going to run your offense he's going to get your offense in positions to score you know he's going to make great plays here and there he's going to do everything that you ask him out of him because he's a good person and he's a good player um may not look super flashy, 
But, I mean, if you could win games on defense as well, which, I mean, if you have a horrible defense, then that's on you. But, like, I think he's somebody that could potentially be a conference winner for a lot of for a lot of teams. I think he's very underrated, obviously, not having offers. Maybe not announcing them, um, but, you know, if he does want to announce his commitment, he's welcome to on this show. Um, I'm just going to throw that out there. He's welcome to announce his commitment on this show. We'd love to have him and uh, announce it there. But I truly think he's somebody that could win a conference for a lot of teams. I think he's somebody that is a plug-and-play guy, honestly. Like I said, it won't be the most flashy, but he's going to find a way to get it done, and he's going to score. I mean, do you need to be flashy when you could win? <laughs> no. Oh, come on. The answer yeah. is no. No. Who cares? Win the game. Like, win the game. And he's a winner. I truly believe that. You know, sure, you, you can look at his playoff record and be like, yeah, I don't know. But, I mean, shoot, bring him out for a workout. See how quickly he picks up a, an offense. See the kind of throws he can make. See the pre-snap reads he makes. That's a very yes, underrated part of his game, you know, especially. Uh, especially when you have a spread, like, the pre-snap reads you can make, like, that definitely helps you out when it comes to efficiency playing this position here. And so I think Clayton Jacobs is somebody that, I mean, he's going to go somewhere and he's going to be a winner, dude. I could just feel it. Like, he's going to win a conference championship somewhere. I guarantee you. Um, if I'm UNC, I know, you know, we've recruited a couple quarterbacks. I know for some reason we definitely, even though Coach McCaffrey's an offensive guy, they definitely go the route of like, oh, let's just get a guy with really good arm power, you know, and whatnot. Just looking at some of the recruits that they've been going after. That's great, you know, but. Clayton Jacobs is the type of guy that could get in there. I think he's probably a backup day one. Um, when I do think of Clayton Jacobs as well, I can see a little bit of Matt Castle as well. You know, Matt Castle was a career backup at USC, but he was ready to play at any point. And sure, he was a career backup in the NFL, but he was ready to play at any point. Being ready to play matters, you know, because that's the difference between winning and losing close games. So... Matt um, Castle even led the uh, Chiefs to the playoffs once upon a time as a starting go. quarterback. So there you go, and the Patriots too. Um, Clayton Jacobs is a Patriots type of player. I'm gonna be honest with you when I think about him as well. But I'm just saying, you know, I think he's very efficient because of the arm power. I don't think he's an FBS player right now, um, unless it's you know, it depends on situation probably, which is which could be really rare. I could see him as an FCS starter, but, you know, give him a year or two to learn the offense. I think on the D2 level, he could start day one for a lot of teams. What do you think about that, Cody? I totally agree. He could be a day one starter at, I'd say, like, probably over 70% of, you know, programs on the D2 level that he could be a day one starter. And, you know, I really want to see him in the FCS and, you know, I don't know if he's a power five guy, but I think he could start at quarterback for some of these FBS schools. You know, I look at, you know, potentially a CSU who lost out on Luke McAllister, you know, Clayton Jacobs. I feel like he makes a lot of good decisions and, you know, he even arguably has better mechanics than McAllister did, you know, because of that hitch in his throwing motion. So that's something that yes, you could look at. And, you know, I think that like, Mountain West schools could honestly benefit from a quarterback that just doesn't make a lot of mistakes and makes a lot of good decisions uh, against, you know, 
a lot of the defensive talent that's in the Mountain West, you need a guy with that poise. You need a guy who can manipulate the pocket, and you need a guy who can just not just play like mistake-free football. And, you know, with pre-snap reads and where he's at already, I feel like he's advanced way past a lot of quarterbacks at his age just in general and could even sneak into a role like that. But definitively a next-level guy. And like Simon said, you know, there there could be a chance he's just not sharing his offers. You know, I know some people are private like that. And, you know, if he does want to announce what his status is or his commitment – He's welcome to do so on the show. And we'd love to have him for an interview and whatnot. But I agree with everything Simon said. I think that we saw very eye-to-eye here on Clayton Jacobs. This is one of our closer ratings just in general. You know, I graded him as my highest QB by .2 decimal points with an 82.6 overall. So a three-star guy heavily led by his accuracy timing and um also his his scramble ability he can he's got jukes god i really like that daniel jones comparison just because of you know daniel jones i think is a very good athlete as well um so i i gave him 82.6 simon you want to talk about your final grade here for clayton jacobs yeah i gave him an 84.3 grade that is, I think, third, just barely third, because I had great guards above him by point two. Um, and then our number one quarterback is up by like a literal, like one whole point, 1.4, you know, and so 84.3, he was my third best. I kind of graded him pretty hard though. I think, <laughs> I think I probably could have given him a little bit more on pocket movement and all that. Um, and that would have, I mean, just point two points would have put him over Greg Garza. So he would have been my number two guy anyways. But, uh, I mean, this is pretty close. I think between Clayton Jacobs, Briggs Wheatley, Keegan Patterson, I mean, honestly, pick your poison, dude. I think all these quarterbacks are guys that could eventually, like, be really good players. But I think Clayton Jacobs is somebody that I could play right now compared to those guys, um, if that makes sense, Cody. So, yeah, no, that's, that's a, that's a perfect description. And then it's just what kind of quarterback do you want and how soon do you need them? Yeah. Yeah. Um, cause they do all have different styles. Even our number one guy has a very different style from Clayton Jacobs as well, which I absolutely love. I love looking at different styles of quarterbacks, but that's, that's just me. But, um, yeah, I mean that I, it's close, you know, it's close. I mean, it could definitely have been interchangeable. One or two good games could have moved either of these four guys we talked about up three or four spots or down two spots or whatever. Like, it's extremely close. I I just want to make sure that is known because it's pretty interchangeable if you really want to ask me. I mean, it's within like five points for like my top five guys. It's that close. Can I count? It's between, I think it's a three point margin. Yeah. For me, so even even a little bit smaller there. So so yeah, I mean you know it depends who you want at quarterback, but uh, I don't know. I feel pretty good about our number one guy, so that's who we're gonna talk about coming up next. What's good, y'all? Welcome back to the Playmakers Corner podcast. We're talking quarterbacks here, but before we talk our number one quarterback. 
We're going to talk about some honorable mentions because it was pretty close here. Um, an honorable mention I really want to talk about is actually Jojo Roy, a Josiah Roy out of Pine Creek High School. Um, I gave him a 77.4 rating here. So, I mean, well, compared to Garza, that is like an 8-point, 6-point difference. I think all the guys I rated in the top five have at least an 82, so just keep that in mind. But I gave him a 77.4. I think he is honestly a very interesting quarterback prospect. He used to play receiver, then switched over to quarterback his junior year, I believe, um, which also happened to be a COVID year. So that's great. And then this last year, I would say, was really his only full season playing quarterback. And even then, he doesn't have a lot of experience here. Uh, look, I'm just going to keep it pretty simple with Jojo Roy here. I think he's another one of these guys that could be a project player on the D2 level. I look at Jojo Roy, and I see a dual thing. But I also see an athlete just in general that has been putting in a significant amount of work here. Uh, to get better and to play quarterback on the next level. I think he can play quarterback on the next level. I don't see him as like, oh, he could maybe be a receiver or a DB. Like, no, I think he could play quarterback on the next level if you develop him right. Because I think he deserves that. He's put in the work, you know, and honestly, he's just one of those guys who has a lot of athleticism. I gave JoJo Roy nine um, as far as arm power goes. 9.3 as scramble ability goes. He's probably a 4-5. You know, four, five, four, six, forty-yard dash type of guy. I would say you could get out of there pretty quickly, and then you know, uh, pretty much everything else is sevens. I gave him eight point five throw on the run, eight point six pocket awareness. Like I said, he's probably a project quarterback guy on the D two level, but I mean, maybe sit him one year and then start him, and then he could give you three very good years. And at least one of those years, he might get you to a conference championship or win a conference championship, honestly. Um, I just I just see him as a very raw type of quarterback who needs more development as a passer and as a quarterback. But, like, in the right system, maybe a system that runs a lot of read options, RPO types, he could be extremely lethal there, just like he was with Pine Creek. So, um, yeah, so that's Joe Roy. That's somebody who just barely missed out, at least for me. Uh, Cody, what do you think about Jojo Roy, and then what are some other honorable mentions here? Jojo Roy was also my sixth-ranked quarterback, and he actually, you know, out of our top five guys, even with our top five guys considered, he had the highest scramble ability out of all of them with a 9.1, and I'm pretty sure that's exactly the same with you. He had the best scramble ability, so, you know, he's got that going for him. I would say that probably the biggest thing that hurt him for me, okay, it wasn't the biggest thing. I only took off like 0.3 points was, you know, his frame and size because of, you know, his injuries kind of at the end of the year. He was a very high usage player just in general. So, you know, that he had that kind of working against him a little bit. And, you know, I, I'd say that maybe they didn't let him pass as much as he could have to really show off his stuff. But he, he's a D2 guy. He's a next-level guy, for sure. And, yeah, that that's unde- that's undisputable. But talking about some of these other guys here who are honorable mentions, you know, or names that you might think are missing, one of our, our actual 5A MVP, Seth Frazier out of Thunder Ridge High School, he had an incredible season bringing – you know, Thunder Ridge back into relevancy. We even talked about it on our 
you know, season preview for the 5A level, he was just missing a lot of things, I'd say, kind of mechanically and decision-making wise to crack our top five, but he was also very close. Brock Saya out of Roosevelt High School, he was our 3A Offensive Playmaker of the Year, I believe, actually. And so, you know, go ahead and listen to that episode as well. That was like 95 or 6. You know, he's another great player who I got to see live. And, you know, he's a little bit up and down consistency-wise. He kind of fluctuates a little bit, but he does have some things that I do like. You know, he's a solid enough scrambler. He's solid enough throwing on the run, and he has a decently strong arm. So, you know, he could be a next-level guy as well. Adam Graves, obviously, out of Dakota Ridge. It's kind of hard to leave him off this list after how successful he was, a one-year starter. You know, that kind of worked against him just a little bit because, dang. Actually, I think all of these quarter. I'm not sure about Greg Garza, but everyone in our top five is a multiple-year starter guy, actually. So, you know, uh, if he had a couple more years and wasn't behind uh, Ben, then maybe this is a little different. But, you know, he has a strong arm for sure, and he makes some good throws stretching the field. Kylan Wilson, he's another guy who was insane this year. He was an Offensive Playmaker of the Year candidate for the 5A level and was huge to Chaparral's success. Colton Warner, you know, he's a semifinals quarterback for Legend High School who threw a bunch of touchdowns this year to our number two wide receiver, Jackson Brush, and our number one running back, Bryce Baz. So, you know, all these skill position players are good, but there's uh, not... There's not a big deal, you know, but you can't be a big deal team without a quarterback to deliver them the ball. Noah Ramirez out of Mesa Ridge. He's another solid quarterback uh, who, you know, has some pretty decent timing. And then Logan Brook, he did throw over 30 touchdowns at Cherokee Trail. But with all that being said, one quarterback rose above the rest here at our number one spot. And it's actually our first 5A guy on this list. Simon, you want to talk about our number one quarterback in the class of 22? Yes. So, the 5A MVP as well. Check out episode 105. 105 here. Um, But he's also the 5A MVP and our number one quarterback in the class of 2022 here in the state of Colorado. That's Antoine A.J. Jackson, the three-star from Douglas County High School. Now, look, I'm just going to be real. Ratings, like stars and whatnot, I honestly don't care. And so whenever I see you having stars, I'm honestly a little bit more, shoot, a little bit more critical is what I'm trying to say here. There you go. I'm a little bit more critical when it comes to ratings and whatnot. If you're a three-star, you need to prove it to me. And I'm just going to be honest, A.J. Jackson, he proved it. Um, first off in that Castleview game, which we went and saw. And then, you know, down the line as well. I think just watching him play, man, he is something. <laughs> he is something. I want to talk about his game here for real because, like, I'm just looking at his mechanics, and his, and it's probably the best mechanics I've seen out of everybody on this list. I mean, Clayton Jacobs has some pretty smooth mechanics, but the way A.J. Jackson moves, especially if you watch his lower body, I mean, look, when you're throwing the ball – uh, and you really want to get a lot of zip on it, it starts with the lower body. And so I'm watching his footwork. I'm watching his lower body, and it's beautiful and consistent each time. Great spacing, not too narrow, not too wide. You know, even when he's running out, he sets and throws really well. 
Um, and that's just a habit. You could see it's a very good habit that's ingrained in the way he plays, you know. He is a smooth passer, man. Whether he's on the run, whether he's setting and throwing, whatever, you know. I think he's just a very smooth passer with extremely good footwork. Probably the best footwork out of any of these guys here, you know. And just looking at that base and then moving up, it's just great, you know. I I'm, I can't praise it enough because there are a lot of times he's under pressure. I'm just going to be real. He's playing on the 5A level. I mean, he has that one uh, Wideman Nichols over there who's pretty good. But other than that, it could get pretty rough pretty quickly because your center can't block a million edge rushers and blitzers uh, because that's what a lot of teams did to Castleview here. But, you know, at the end of the day, you know, even under duress, A.J. Jackson looked composed. He looked very good. He didn't seem to have any really bad habits, which is something you don't see every day. No, not that Douglas County is like a poverty team or, you know, school or whatever. I wouldn't say that at all. But they definitely were a little bit challenged in, uh, in, in, in the blocking game when it came to playing high-level opponents. I'm not trying to throw shots. I'm just saying. And, Cody, you saw it as well. You know, they are challenged. And that's a very nice way of saying that. Yeah. I mean... We talked about it on our 5A awards, so go ahead and listen to that. That was episode 105. But Douglas County, they haven't been uh, the best recently. And, you know, you could see glimpses of that throughout this season for sure against tougher opponents. Yes. And so it's easy to form bad habits when you're constantly under pressure when you're playing from behind and all that. It's very easy. But, you know, just watching A.J. Jackson play, man, I mean, it's a it's a thing of beauty. It's poetry in motion, honestly. I would recommend every quarterback watch how he plays. Like, just watch his games. Watch his games against Castleview and some of those games that really stood out that we talked about in that episode earlier this week. You know, I'm not going to go over all that stuff because I feel like I mean, if you really want to check it out, go for it. But, I know, so you can look it up yourself. That's fine, too. Uh, but, I mean, he just looked extremely composed. Even against Pine Creek, a very good defense. I mean, he looked good, you know, like great base, you know, great awareness, really good awareness, I would say. Pretty solid pocket movement. I think that's a very underrated thing. Like, he, he's very good at just making subtle movements and buying himself some time here and there to make the right throw, you know. And speaking of throws, I mean, I would say his accuracy is, is top-notch. He has the accuracy of a four-star quarterback at least, you know, because, man, does he put it on the money um, consistently, honestly. Timing, I mean, that it's pretty solid as well, but I think really, really when it comes down to it, I mean, Jackson here, he can make some pretty elite throws into some pretty tight windows if you ask him to. And I like it. You know, I honestly like it a lot. And I think A.J. Jackson here, a lot of people will see him as a dual threat. I think that's what he is classified as. And, yes, he could run, and he has very good running form and all that great stuff. But I think his passing game, especially this year, has made some pretty good strides. And, I mean, he looked incredible out there. I haven't seen him. Um, honestly, I haven't seen really many smooth passers in these two years that we've talked about players. Like, obviously, there's McAllister, but even he had that, like, it was a little bit elongated, and that showed in the state championship game when he was strip-stacked um, at least one time in that game and whatnot. And so it's it's been a while. Well, 
We okay. I would say personally that AJ Jackson has the smoothest throwing motion out of all the quarterbacks we've evaluated so far. Um, at least top two. That's fair. What, what do you think about that, Cody? And why is AJ Jackson your number one rated quarterback as well? Yeah. So you know, I think that his his mechanics are solid. They were one of the higher rated ones for myself as well, and I'm a fan of his throwing motion. But, you know, I think he really steals the show. I know that you and I differ a little bit on this. You know, you gave his accuracy a little bit higher of a rating. For me, I kind of classified his arm power as a little bit higher. For me, you know, his arm power was the second highest. You know, I know that late in games or later in the season – it does look like he's running out of juice, which we'll talk about that in a second. But when he when he's fresh, he can throw some of the best passes in Colorado, some of the deepest passes in Colorado. I cannot, cannot stress enough. I know I rambled about it for a minute in that 5A awards, but I need to bring it back up. The moon ball to Chase Nelson against Castleview. That was my favorite throw of the entire year. It was my favorite throw of the entire year. And just, like, how long it was in the air. It was in the air with hang time like a punt, which he also does. But, uh, you know, that throw was insane to me. I think that his timing is also very good. I think that he was able to get Chase Nelson a lot of opportunities, being, you know, a pretty speedy receiver and a pretty intricate receiver. He was able to get him a lot of opportunities with just having very solid timing with him. His pocket movement is easily the best in the state, in my opinion. I gave him a 9.1 out of pocket movement, and no one else broke an 8 flat. So, you know, or I guess JoJo had an 8.2, but... No one else came even close to A.J. Jackson's pocket movement. I think it's, like, literally elite in the fact that, you know, he senses pressure and he does a great job of moving the pocket, moving in the pocket and moving the pocket and manipulating the pocket that he has then moved. You know, he's constantly forced to, you know, make something out of nothing, come up with some magic, but he keeps his eyes downfield very, very well. You know, he doesn't tuck and run necessarily. Like, you know, we talked about Briggs Wheatley a little bit and how often he tucks and runs. AJ is not like that. He's not going to take off unless he really sees that every route is covered, which, you know, it it happens from time to time for this Huskies team with, you know, kind of a limited amount of elite pass catchers. But despite that, he still makes a lot of good decisions he steps up his game, too, as well. He plays a very efficient brand of football, I'd say. You know, he doesn't even throw a single interception until Doherty in week six. And, you know, that's a game that they still end up winning, and he completes a long pass of 55. I mean, just looking at his long passes in order the season, 41, 54, 30, 59. That was the moon ball. I know that was the moon ball. Um... 59 against Boulder, 55 Doherty, uh, kind of, you know, runs into a very tough defense against Pine Creek, but constantly trying to make plays, constantly keeping plays alive, literally 
running for his life all game, but still looking downfield and looking to make plays. If a play isn't there either, I think he does a pretty good job of throwing the ball away as well, just in general, which is not something that you see from a lot of quarterbacks and not something that, you know, a lot of people go out of their way to comment on. But being able to avoid a sack, get rid of the ball safely and whatnot, you know, AJ does a great job of that. Where he gets flushed out of the pocket, he'll do it. All right, you know, like, I'll make sure to throw the ball away where no one can get it, but also I'm not going to get flagged for, you know, an intentional grounding call, which for as often as he gets rid of the ball because he gets flushed out of the pocket, I'd say that, you know, AJ has the best incompletions, if that makes sense. Uh, It's a weird thing to talk about, but, you know, he has the best decisions as when to take incompletions and, you know, chalk it up, basically. Simon, there's a lot to love here about AJ. I talked about his his arm power for me personally. His scramble ability also was a nine tied for, you know, Keegan Patterson in this top five list for the best. His pocket movement being a 9.1. He can throw on the run well. He has solid timing on throws. And he has, I think, good pocket awareness. But you mind if I talk about some areas of improvement here for AJ? Yeah, no, go for it. Alright, perfect. So, the one thing that I will say is, as the year went on, and as the competition got tougher, and as he realized that he's the only one who shows up a lot of the time to play, he he had to make plays, otherwise they were going to lose. And once that started happening against some of these tougher teams who knew that and would just basically bracket Chase Nelson or make sure that two people were on him, and then they would send heavy blitzes, knowing that a lot of these receivers wouldn't be able to win necessarily one-on-one situations. It forced AJ into very tough spots this year and resulted in him throwing a lot of interceptions down the stretch here. In I mean, to end the season, you know, they did have a tough schedule. Pine Creek legend, uh, Chaparral, Regis, and Mullen. I think they could have walked away with two wins in these games, you know, during this five-game losing streak to end the season. I chose Douglas County to even beat Mullen, but, you know, AJ struggled in these games, and he threw a lot of interceptions. In these last five losses, I mean, he threw nine interceptions after the previous game five, you know, the first half of the season only throwing two against Somewhat solid competition, you know, Castleview, they have a solid defense. So I was really surprised to kind of see a little bit of unraveling here. But at the same time, they don't get within three points of Chaparral or within 10 points of Regis without AJ at the same time. And, you know, he had to do a lot more on his legs, but a lot more carries equals more potential fumbles. And so I dinged his frame a little bit there and just decision-making because he did also have three lost fumbles down the stretch of those games as well. So overall, I mean, shoot, 12 turnovers in the last five games? Yikes. Yikes is what I have to say about that. Simon, what do you think of AJ's turnover roles or, you know, turnover woes here down the stretch of the season? How concerned are you with it? And if you're not that concerned, what are some things that you do want to see him improve on? 
Yeah, I'm not concerned about anything there, and I don't think there's really anything he could improve on. I'm going to be honest with you. Uh, look, maybe one of my biggest things, like a problem that I kind of had with AJ Jackson, the way he plays, and the way that he plays is sometimes that he's too safe. I think there are definitely times where, you know, he's the right play is to run out of bounds or throw it away and all that, or or you know, scramble for like four or five yards. That's the right play, right? But you don't. With the team you have, you're not going to win games against some of these better teams if you don't take chances. Um, if you don't take very high-risk plays that some would even consider bad decisions. Um, I'm going to be honest with you because even if there's like a 10% chance that bad decision could turn the tide, I think you take it. And I'm looking at A.J. Jackson here. This is his senior year. Um, I think personally... I think about myself if I was to play quarterback and I was on a team that wasn't as good, and that's true, I was on a team that wasn't as good, you could feel the pressure of, okay, my uh, career is about to be over here. My legacy at this school with this program is about to be over here. Would I rather make the smart plays, turn over clean plays, and still get blown out? Or would I rather feel good about putting it all on the line, taking some risk here, and and really just feeling good about like, yeah, I did what I could. I took all the risks that I could, and even then it wasn't going to be enough. Because I'm going to be honest, you look at this legend game here, I mean, he didn't have any turnovers. He won 16 of 22 for 143 yards, but that didn't prevent them from getting blasted 49 to 7. I was at that game, you know. So you could have that game, you know, you could have great stats and whatnot, but I'm just going to be real. Did he honestly feel like he put it all on the line, you know, and took as many risks as possible and all that? The answer is probably no, because there are definitely a lot of times where I'm like, okay, he's throwing it away again. I mean, he's running out of bounds. Obviously, there's nowhere to go with the ball. If he did try to, you know, throw it downfield, it's a 50-50 ball at best. I mean, Chase Nelson's your best receiver, and he's only 5'8", so really it's a 40-70, or sorry, a 30-70 ball if he doesn't completely, like, burn the corner. And if the corner's right on him, then that percentage goes down a bit, you know? So, uh, like, I mean, I don't think he had any receivers over six foot, did he, Cody? You said any receivers over six foot? Yeah, I don't think he did. Tell you what, uh, you keep talking and I'll get back to you on that one. Okay, okay, that's fine. So there you go. Um, So you don't have any receivers probably over six foot outside of Stonebreaker. I think he might be close to six foot there. I don't know. Um, Your only guy that really runs like a sub four, uh, I'm going to be a little bit generous here, maybe a sub four six or sub four seven is Chase Nelson. I don't think you have any other receivers who are faster than him. And then you have one really good offensive lineman in Nichols who did get hurt in the Pine Creek game, so he didn't play for the rest of that. We saw how that game won. He went 6-22 of 22 in that game, you know, through two picks. And then I don't know if he missed more time or whatever, but, I mean, that's, that's what you got to work with, man. I mean, that's it. I think, honestly – the turnovers at the end of the season was him trying to put it all on the line. You know, trying to feel good about his senior year and being like, hey, I took the risks I could take. Because I think 
I, I look and shout out to Strong Opinion Sports. This is a podcast, and Zach Schaumer, he is a quarterback guy. He played quarterback up in Portland and all, or uh, yeah, yeah, up in Portland, Oregon, Washington area. I want to say, and you know, he talked about some of his biggest regrets as a high school quarterback. He said, you know, honestly, you know, some of his biggest regrets was not throwing it up to a six-three receiver, not throwing it up to receivers that he knows could go moss somebody, or throwing it deep to guys that he knows are speedsters. That was his biggest regret because back in high school, he was very used to playing it clean and all that, and that's cool, man. But I mean, at the end of the day. There's always going to be those what-if plays. What if I took this chance? What if I took uh, this or that? And honestly, my biggest, uh, I guess, criticism of A.J. Jackson as the season was going on was, and especially after that Legend and Pine Creek game, was he's not taking enough chances. He's playing uh, he's playing good football, you know, but with this level of talent on the team, that is not going to be enough to even come remotely close to competing on the 5A level, where you got teams like Pine Creek, Legend, like, both of those teams made the semifinals. Like, what do you want to do? Like, come on, bro. And then Regis Jesuit, you know, like, that's another tough team that I want to say was pretty close to those semifinals. If he did not take those chances, sure, he has a clean stat sheet, but are you really satisfied with that? Because I'm sure those plays are going to keep playing over and over in, in your head of, uh, you know, like, those what-up plays, like, what if I took this shot? What if I decided to not step out of bounds and I tried to fight for a couple more yards and reach out for that first down? Would that have changed? Like, like you don't want that going on in your head, honestly. You just don't. Um, I'm sure you can chalk it up and be like, oh, you know, according to the stat sheet, it looks like, you know, when he played actual competition, he didn't play well. But, I mean, football is not a one-on-one sport. It's not a one-on-11 sport. It's not a one-on-22 sport. It's a 11 on one. It's 11 on 11, 22 on 22, oh, 33 and th- 33 if you want to count special teams type of sport. You know, you don't win games without having, you know, at least five or six good starters outside of you. So that's, I think that's the reality of that situation for AJ Jackson. I'm sure he realized that going on. And honestly, if AJ Jackson played for some different teams out here, I, like any, if he played for Pine Creek, they would have won state, probably, because I think he's a better passer than JoJo. If he played for Palmer Ridge, they would have won state. If he played for Cherry Creek, obviously, they would have won state. If he played for Valor Christian, they definitely would have won state, in my opinion. If he played for Regis, they would have at least made it to state. I they mean, probably would have won state. Yeah, I think maybe even win it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Um, look, it's it's tough. Like nobody really looks at Douglas County and they're like, oh, yeah, they're pretty good out there. Look, no, if you're in the Castle Rock area, you're probably going to Castleview, and that's facts. I mean, Cody, what what do you think about that? Well, that's just that's just my opinion. That's how I view this situation. And um, yeah, I mean, I don't know. I I commend him for putting it all on the line because at the end of the day, there's only so much you could do with your team, you know. I think it's a fair take. I, you know, I didn't come from there while grading, obviously, from that from that point of view. But I think that's a fair take. It was his senior year, and he did have to do literally everything to just will this team into the playoffs. I looked at their roster. It said that they had two receivers that were six foot, but I definitely think they were like five ten. Uh, looking at their numbers and 
seeing them in person, they're, they did not have a six foot receiver. That's, that's cap. And, you know, Chase Nelson being, you know, one of the leading pass catchers there, he's five foot seven too. So like, you can't just throw it up to him. You have to get him the ball in space. And really this Douglas County offense, they were either doing screens or quick passes, you know, to their playmakers. Or it was AJ just throwing a ball that's so good that a receiver can't possibly drop it. You know, like the the offensive coordinator and the coaches coaching staff, God bless them. They did everything they could, honestly, with the hand they were dealt. And yeah, I, I think that's the best you could say for it. Their offensive line was okay, you know, enough to make a couple of pockets, but you know, they're they didn't have anybody else in any of our top five positions for the senior class. And I think that's telling compared to some of these teams where, I mean, look at Briggs Wheatley. He had Frank Ortega in the top five and, you know, uh, Braden Fajardo was a very good player. You look at Clayton Jacobs who had uh, Bryce Johnson. Is that, am I thinking of the right guy? Yeah. Bryce Johnson. Yeah. Also Bryce. Dorian Pacheco, who was an honorable mention on our linebackers list. Dorian Pacheco, who won Defensive Playmaker of the Year, actually, on our 3A awards, was an honorable mention on linebackers, a solid running back. Bryce Johnson, a Division One football player. You know, you look at, uh, I mean, Keegan Patterson, Caleb Johnson, and uh, Jack Mole, you know, they weren't on our top five list, but, I mean, they're both 1,000-yard pass catchers. And they're both, well, not Caleb Johnson, but Jack Mole, he's like a six-foot, like, two guy. And they're both fast at the Wait, he has minimum. a D1 offer. One of his receivers got offered by Valpo, Valparaiso. It was probably Jack Mole. Yeah, so there you go. Bigger. So, so you, you have, have a D1 that. Receiver. You have a D1 guy in Longmont. And then, you know, Greg Garza. Canon Padilla was an MVP candidate for us on the 2A level. And, you know, probably should have been our number. I'm going to just say is the fifth best receiver in the state of Colorado. I'm just going to say it like that now. Uh, you know, we we... We're wrong about our number five receiver in the state of Colorado, you know, and that's why AJ Jackson blanketed him at a cornerback and why he beat him. But anyways, you know, you look at all these other surrounding casts, not to mention the offensive linemen that we ranked that, you know, weren't necessarily, I mean, Ari Jacobs, he was a top five interior lineman for Lutheran, you know, Clayton Jacobs played with him. And then you look at like Palmer Ridge's offensive line and how many guys they had ranked. You look at Cherry Creek stuff and like, you know, there's so many positions and so many opportunities for seniors to be ranked and for so many programs to, you know, have a representative on our top five lists. And it doesn't break down evenly because some schools are just concentrated with more talent. And, and that's all right. And Douglas County, you know, they put together uh, enough good players this year. But I definitely think that between AJ and Chase Nelson, those guys were head and shoulders above a lot of the other guys who were there. Um, no disrespect, of course, just talking football. I mean, you did have some good guys and uh, stone breakers, obviously. And then you had a couple of offensive linemen that were solid. But, I mean, it's tough. It's tough to win games when, you know, you're on the field as much as you can be. And then the defense is on the field forever. I mean, playing keep away against A.J. Jackson was a great strategy for for teams this year. And, uh, you know, Antoine did everything that he could. But, yeah. I mean, it I, didn't stop him from reaching the next level, right, Simon? 
No, not at all. But I just wanted to say real quick. Um, I mean, thing, areas of concern, the only real area of concern I have for AJ Jackson, um, maybe he could clean up his pocket movement, but I'm not super worried about that. I liked what I saw there. That's a good base to work off of, and he'll get better uh, moving on into the next level. But I think arm power was the only thing I was a little, uh, you know, it could have been a little bit better. But I think you got to keep in mind that he was on the field basically entire games. Like, he was the punter, too. So he's out there on special teams. He's going one-on-one as a cornerback on whatever team's best receiver is out there. And then he's also playing quarterback where he also has to run the ball. He can't just throw it because he doesn't have that privilege. You know, he has to run it because that's that's how the team is built. And so I think fatigue is definitely something that, uh, you know, I, I would keep an eye on as well. You know, if you're a next-level, um, you know, coach or whatever, I would look at A.J. Jackson and be like, okay, let's not do that again. Let's not play you on, like, three sides of the football, basically. You know, you're a quarterback, and I think he is a quarterback, and that's what he's going to play. And so I think his arm power, I had to rate it rated at an 8.5, maybe even a little bit lower at times, but I think that is pretty generous because I think at its worst, like, it's maybe uh, 8.2, 8.3. At its best, it could approach the nines, maybe 8.8, 8.9. But I, I think this is a good middle spot at 8.5. Um, just based off of what I saw, like, I don't like, I don't know. Like, I could be like, oh, you know, he did play good at the beginning, but I don't know how consistent that is. So that's just consistency there. So that's my only concern about A.J. Jackson. I mean, I like his... Uh, I like his mechanics, so I think if he just gets stronger, then his arm power will go up naturally. But uh, other than that, I think he's a very complete player. He has been offered and is committed to Western here in Colorado. Um, I think this is a steal. Well, this is a steal. I think A.J. Jackson is probably, he could have played for an FCS type of team. kind of wish UNC went after him because they could have had a different type of quarterback up there for once. But um, I I, don't, I think this is an absolute steal. He could probably be a, I wouldn't say a year one starter, but, I mean, he could get into year two for sure, you know, if he red shirts and whatnot, um, get some consistent snaps for sure, I would say. What do you think about that, though, Cody? Uh, first his commitment and then, um, you know, the timetable of when he might be able to play. Yeah, I wouldn't call him a, well, there is going to be a little bit of a gap on the, or opportunity on the roster, I should say. You know, I do believe that it is Connor Desch's senior year. Shout out to my former quarterback, Connor Desch, who helped, you know, Western have one of their better seasons in recent memory. But, you know, this this Western team, they... They kind of made a comeback, you know, in past years, it's been the CSU Pueblo, the Mind show a little bit. Uh, even Adams State was relevant more recently than Western, but I think that's kind of, over. I mean, there is lots of competition here, obviously, in D2 Colorado, because dare I say it might be the best D2 state for football. I'm, I'm going to go that far. But, uh, you know, I, I'm not sure exactly. D- didn't they also recruit JoJo? Western? Yeah, they did. 
Also, Western had Austin Eckler. They did have Austin Eckler. This is true. Eaton represent as well. But, you know, they, uh, they're a school who has lots of talent. They've obviously sent guys to the NFL. And fortunately for AJ, they usually have a pretty good line too. But, you know, they have a quarterback from Fresno, California, who was a freshman. They have a quarterback in Luke Neathercott out of Colorado, who's a redshirt junior. So same year as, as Dash. Uh, they have a Jaden Green, you know, who is out of George Washington High School. So, you know, it's a pretty young roster, but I think AJ's, I think AJ's D1 talent on a D2 roster. I think it's another one of those cases, such as the story for much of Colorado's football talent. And so I think that he could definitely over, overcome these guys. I mean, I think he's better than Desh was, you know, coming out of high school. And yeah, I mean, no disrespect to, to my boy, but I mean, just the physical tools that AJ has at his disposal is, something that is hard to argue with. So, you know, he could be a guy. Talk about D2 National Championship quarterbacks. He he could be that guy, you know, here. Maybe not immediately, but here in the next couple of years. Just like uh, maybe we'll see him and Keegan Patterson play against each other. I'd go to that game. So. I would too. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I mean, AJ Jackson's the only ranked quarterback on that roster right now, right? Or he will be. I have a three-star. Like I said, rankings don't mean everything. I mean, you got to go prove yourself, and I'm sure that's what they're going to want to do. But, I mean, I don't know. I think A.J. Jackson could be the missing piece for Western over there. Here, first things first, you got to win the RMAC. I know there's been a bunch of co-champs and whatnot. Didn't mind, like, they were, like, the co-champs with with another – was it – it was either Western or Shadron. I know they both have red in their team name, so it kind of, like, blurs it up for me. But I know mine was a co-champ with somebody in the yard. I think it was with Western. Okay, so there you go. So, shoot, so that's already building up. I mean, mines they're going to be losing their head coach. So, I mean, yeah, sure you can. I mean, if you want to, you could put down the expectations. Oh, maybe we should go back, um, you know, to where they were, to the semifinals. That's fine. But they are losing their head coach. There could be some turnover there. I think, uh, you know, A.G. Jackson, first off, I mean, he doesn't have to play right away because your boy is there. So, you know, take the year, master the playbook, dude. Master the playbook. Also, go ahead and get all your, like, you know, easy classes out of the way so you don't have to be taking a ton of, you know, college classes throughout your uh, college career because that sucks, you know. Best case scenario, dude, like, be taking the minimum amount of college classes because you took a pretty big load as a freshman, be the starting quarterback, lead your team, win the conference, because that's step one, I would say, probably. You know, well, step one would be winning a game. And then win your conference and whatnot. And let's see what happens. Because I do think, honestly, if A.J. Jackson could continue to – I can't talk – could continue to develop and get better and hone in on his skills and, like, truly be the guy over at Western – he could be the next Austin Eckler type of prospect to come out of there. I I don't really doubt that at all. Um, you know, like I said, his arm power, sure, it could be better, but, I mean, if you're good at everything else and all that, I mean, who cares? You know, with, if you're great with timing or not, if you could win games, who cares? You're a winner. 
That's who you are, you know? You're a guy who could be a plug-and-play guy as well. That's what you want on the next level, beyond, well, beyond college. I mean, if you if you want to talk pros and whatnot, like, you need a quarterback who could basically be a plug-and-play guy. You don't have to coach him up and be like, oh, your mechanics suck, you know, because they don't have time for that in the pros. Like, you got to be studying that playbook. That's what your time should be going into, you know. And so, so yeah, but that's um, I, that's just really my take. I think uh, a Keegan Patterson, A.J. Jackson showdown a couple years from now will be kind of lit. And I would give up a weekend to go to that. Pretty much in a heartbeat, honestly. So, yeah. The only thing that could uh, beat that out is probably like a, depending on when it happens, like a Beckham Kritza versus DJ Bordeaux game. Then we would be in a tough, we'd have to hope that they're at different times. Well, let's just hope that specific situation <laughs> never happens because it is a very specific situation. But, uh, yeah, I mean, there you go. I mean, our top five quarterbacks, just to review again, at number five, it's university's quarterback Greg Garza. At number four, it is uh, Longmont's quarterback, Keegan Patterson. At number three, it is Fort Morgan's quarterback, Briggs Wheatley. At number two, it is Lutheran's quarterback, Clayton Jacobs. And at number one, not only is he your 5A most valuable playmaker of the year, but he is also your top quarterback in the class of 2022 in the state of Colorado pretty easily. So uh, there you go. Uh, look, I'm just going to be honest with you. Most of these guys are kind of the same level, like FCS projects to high-level D2 players. Um, I don't think they're any lower than that. I also don't think they're any higher than that. Uh, I feel like that is very fair to say, but I'm just going to say this right now. Even uh, look, this this could probably age really well if they all kill it on the D two level. This could age really well, but I'm just gonna say moving forward though, I think there are gonna be multiple quarterbacks from Colorado on the F that are FBS level quarterbacks for the next five to six type of years. What do you? We might as well talk about it now because I don't know whenever else we are gonna talk about it. But what do you think about that, Cody? I mean, very obviously, you know, lots of respect to these senior quarterbacks. Um, like like you said, it was a really tight race between all of these guys. They're all around the same level. But, I mean, God, next year we have Brandon Dorman, Giselle Riley, and Joseph Capra staring at us in the face. The year after that, we have Blake Barnett, who's already won an MVP award for 4A as a sophomore, you know, for us and is an All-State guy, not to mention, you know, guys like Genoa Trujillo, who we've talked about, and we saw Blake Palladino, who could be a championship quarterback, you know, who are sophomores. And then on the freshman level, obviously, you know, guys like Beckham Kritza, who is one of the top freshman quarterbacks in the entire country as a freshman, not to mention Austin Modrzewski, as well as... um. Simon, help me out from Horizon. Um, By the way, Beckham already has a D1 offer, so he's already a D1 uh, type of quarterback. But Alex Birch from Horizon. Yeah, Alex Birch from Horizon, who also had a phenomenal rookie season. Not And and Andrew Heidel, you know, from Ponderosa. Who knows how much all of those guys could develop. Obviously, Beckham spearheading it as a D1 guy. Cam Cooper from Pine Creek as Cam, well. 
Cam Cooper from Pine Creek. Then, you know, in that eighth grade class coming up, you have guys like Nick Accardi, DJ Bordeaux, and let's see. Brady Vodica? Yeah, Brady Vodica. <laughs> don't, don't, I, I'm pulling up a lot of names here. I know, I know. I'm so, just saying. Cut me a little bit of slack here. Okay. So you have all of those guys as well who have very high potential. By the way, I, I heard some rumors that, that Blake Barnett has either communicated or has it, some kind of tie to Ohio State. Not sure how far that's going to go, but even for, you know, a communication to be had or to be noticed is, is a pretty big deal. So we'll see how big he grows. I think he needs to get a more of a Ohio State quarterback kind of frame for anything to go further than that. But lots of D1 guys on the up and up here in Colorado. Uh, quarterback renaissance, one might even say. Yeah. Absolutely. I mean, and we've had talented five quarterbacks years. here. Wait, what? I was saying, and we've had talented quarterbacks here. Over yeah, those no. guys like AJ here yeah. and, you know, Leslie Richardson and Luke McAllister, arguably. Highlands as well. No, yeah, for sure. I mean, we definitely have, but this will be a, arguably the golden era of a Colorado high school football with all these quarterbacks coming out. Brayden Dorman, I mean, he's the next guy up. He's a top 10 quarterback in the country. We've seen him live multiple, well, I've seen him live multiple times, and he is, as advertised, maybe even better than uh, his ranking, to be honest with you. So there you go. I mean, it's going to be lit the next couple of years. We just went four or five years back, and we were naming names that are getting noticed and are doing their thing out there, you know. And so I think quarterback will be arguably the strong suit of Colorado football moving forward, one of the stronger positions next to line, probably, and then maybe running back after that. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I could, I, I'm good with saying that, honestly. And uh, everybody loves a good quarterback. That's all I gotta say. Everybody loves a good quarterback. So uh, we're excited to cover those guys. Well, we already have covered pretty much all of those guys at this point. But uh, we're excited to continue to follow their career. And even the guys that we just talked about, we're excited to follow all of their careers as well. I can foresee very, very good collegiate careers for all of the players that we just talked about. You know, I think that they could all light it up for their respective programs here soon. So um, even some of the honorable mention guys as well. So there you go. But uh, now basically wrap up this episode. Thank you for rocking with us. Next week we have one last top five episode. We'll be talking about Wildcat quarterbacks slash uh, more so athletes. You know, kind of they don't really have a position type of deal there. So we'll talk about that. That'll wrap up this series. And then go ahead and follow us Follow us on our social media at Playmakers Corner. That's Facebook, Instagram, t- Twitter, TikTok, YouTube. Subscribe to that. That's where we'll be keeping all of our uh, live streams from our Twitch as well. We'll also be uploading some, um, you know, like the TikToks we post, we'll upload some of those to our YouTube channel as well, obviously fitted to that YouTube template and all that great stuff. So make sure to give us a follow, subscribe to us there on YouTube and on Twitch as well. We will be going live hopefully at least once a week, probably on Tuesdays, 6 p.m. type of range. That's kind of what we're looking for. We will eventually do some live breakdowns 
so that you can't see our rubrics and so that you can see kind of our initial reactions because uh, I'm just going to be honest, when we do grade some of these players, um, look, we're, you know, we're at different moods with some of these players, and so we, so we migrate them some tougher, some easier initially, and then we go over a couple of times over, watch their film more in depth, take a lot of time to really go back and look at look at it, you know, at, at a different point in time, just to really get where we're at. And so, when you do watch us live on our live streams, that's going to be our raw reaction. There's no hiding that. There's no edits. Um, there you go. So, yeah. Cody, anything else you want to add on? I think I got everything. I think. Oh, is that what you think? Well, you know, I've been one of your co-hosts, Simon Villanos, a.k.a. Coach V. And I'm the co-host who's going to make up something on the spot to talk about to prove a point about how you should listen to all of our old episodes. All of them. Every single one of them. Uh, Just kidding. Covering 2021 Colorado football has been super awesome. We're looking forward to making out to flag football stuff and watching some uh, girls flag football stuff and talking about that as well. So stay tuned for all of that coverage. And I've been your other co-host. Cody Stoffer. Adios. Peace.